This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've recovered just about for filling in for Nick Coffey yesterday. Oh, two, two three-hour shifts? I don't think so. You missed it. You can listen on the iPad. It was a lot of fun. We had a, in inverted commas, psychic on. <laughs> it was one of those things where Nick came in, was, had, he was talking like this, doing his best sick voice, and I said, well, Nick, obviously you can't go on, go home. Uh, and the bosses were struggling to find someone, and I went, oh, I'll do it. Oh, I'll fill in for Nick if you can't find anybody, thinking they wouldn't be so rude as to actually say yes. And boy, oh boy, they said yes. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. If you missed it, do have a listen on the iPlay. It was, um, it was some thoroughly enjoyable bits. But back to this morning show. I'm invigorated to be back here, and lots to talk about. As always, want your opinion on some of these things, and some of these things I think will get you quite angry. So uh, have a listen, and if anything grabs you, you can give us a call in a second. Some of the things include concerns over services being downgraded at three counties' hospitals. A Hertfordshire mum hires a life coach. Not for her, for her seven-year-old daughter. Wow. How did you help your kids deal with their playground problems? And if you put your babies in fancy dress costumes, then you are treating them like party accessories. That's according to Kidscape, a charity out there. What do you think? The ways you can get in touch, plenty. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can send me a text if you want, 81333. Start in your text, 3CR. Or, and this is the best way. This is, this is the best way to do it, isn't it? Because you, you, you can explain things better in a phone conversation than you can in a text or an email. You can give us a call. 08459 455 555. And you can call any point during the show. If anything grabs your fancy, if I say something that gets you angry or you agree with, or one of the guests says something you think, what on earth are they talking about? That idiot, I must have my say. And give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, concerns are being raised about plans which could see some A&E and maternity services being downgraded at hospitals in the three counties. At the moment, we don't know whether the Luton and Dunstable, Milton Keynes or Bedford hospitals will be affected. It's all up for discussion. Health services are under review there, along with two in Northamptonshire. Now, a Milton Keynes councillor is calling for the decision-making process to be more open. Our reporter Jessica Cooper has been following the story. Morning Jessica. Morning Ian. What's being suggested here? Well, I'll try and keep it as simple as possible because it do. does get quite complicated. Yeah. But basically, um, five hospitals are part of this NHS review of health services, which is called Healthier Together. And those hospitals are Bedford, Luton and Dunstable, Milton Keynes, Kettering and Northampton. Now, this Healthier Together all started in February this year when there were six um, working groups led by local hospital doctors and they looked at six specific areas of care and some of those areas included emergency, children's care and long-term conditions. But what they were looking for is to see how those services are currently working and what could be improved. And it's also been asking people what they want to see, what needs to change in their local area. So they've come up with two options which are now going to be looked into in more detail. And under both of those hospitals, um, under both those options, no hospital is going to close. Mm. They would all have a maternity and A&E unit still, but the level of the service um, would be downgraded. So for both, it's being suggested that three of the five hospitals have 24-7 emergency services, just like we see at the moment. But two hospitals would have what's being called a networked A&E department. What does that mean? Well... 
the details are quite thin at the moment, but what it seems to mean is that this networked A&E department would still be open all of the time for people to go to and have treatment for pretty much 80% of the problems that they would need. Mm. But the, sh- the staff there are going to be shared staff across the sites. So they're not going to be staff who would be there all the time. And at those two hospitals, whether it would be the networked A&E, there'd also be maternity services, but just for low-risk births. So it wouldn't be a- an extensive maternity unit. And the lead clinician on the programme is Ed Neal, and he's been telling us that um, this has all come about because there aren't enough A&E consultants to serve five units if they were to be open 24-7, so all of the time. And there's also a national shortage of trainee doctors going into emergency medicine. What we are proposing is that in order to provide the best possible access for patients locally across the whole area, we will have three A&E departments that have all services behind them that in, enhanced compared to the current services and a larger consultant presence and we will have two hospitals who will work closely with those uh, three hospitals so that there are combined pro- protocols um, and the vast majority of patients will still be seen locally. So the idea is you shouldn't, uh, the plan is you shouldn't have to travel miles and miles to get the care that you're used to, but you may have to travel further because A&E and maternity services would be reduced at two sites, the sites we don't know which ones they are yet. But the main idea behind this is Healthier Together wants to concentrate resources on three sites rather than spreading them really thinly across lots of sites they basically want to have these kind of super centers super centers it, please, <laughs> if, you're, if you're having a baby jessica and uh, you don't know whether it's going to be an emergency situation or if it's going to be a normal birth or what you want to go to the nearest place possible and the same with a and e i don't know if this guy's ever been in an a and e department but th- you have to wait four hours anyway you can't spread it more thinly I- i'm guessing the news hasn't been received brilliantly everywhere has it no, um, that's probably to put it um, lightly. The, the p- politicians are clearly not going to be too happy about this. Um, Milton Keynes councillor Nigel Long, who's from the Labour group um, in Milton Keynes, says he wants to know now which two hospitals are being talked about for the, the cuts. Um, and a motion was going to be discussed at, at the council meeting last night, really calling for openness and clarity. He's been suggesting that they're a, a secret or it's not as clear as it could be. So the public and the media can better understand what's being suggested so um, steps can be taken now to try and protect our hospitals. Um, And elsewhere in Bedford, the borough councillors this week um, launched a petition. It says it's doing that to send a loud and clear message against downgrades. Um, That was launched earlier this week. So far, it hasn't had lots of signatures. 14 people have signed it online. Oh, that's not (laughs) Uh, many, is it? (laughs) No, it does sound like a small number. That does um, run until the end of December, though, so it might be that people haven't really cottoned on to it yet um but we've also been getting the thoughts of dave hodgson who's the mayor of bedford the sort of which was midwifery led maternity unit about 80 percent would still be in bedford but 20 percent would be somewhere else if we were one of the hospitals and i think that's very difficult for families to actually cope with and and we just need to make it aware so if you go to healthier mm-hmm. together it shows you the options available the what they call the emerging models models five and six and it's a massive cut uh, and a downgrade. It's a crude, blunt instrument, and it's just not good enough for Bedford. 
And we've also heard from the Chief Executive of Bedford Hospital NHS Trust, Joe Harrison, who is again reiterating that women will be able to give birth at every hospital and local people will be able to get urgent and emergency care at their local hospital. It just, I suppose, depends what care you need. Mm. And we have checked with both Milton Keynes and Luton Borough Council about whether they're planning to do a petition um, to protect services at their local hospital. And at this stage, neither have plans to do that. Good for them. What happens now? Well, um, no decisions have been made yet. We're still quite a long way from the decisions being made. We don't yet know which two hospitals are being talked about. Um, Healthier Together says it's first deciding on which is the right model of care of the two that they've narrowed it down to, to meet the needs of the population. Then there's going to be a consultation and then... Um, the changes will be agreed but it still could be a couple of years before we actually see these changes working but it isn't the first time there has been anything like this suggested something similar um, has already happened in parts of Hertfordshire mm. there were public consultations then Hemel Hempstead opened a 24-7 urgent care centre in 2009 now that's as an alternative to an A&E so the full A&E departments at the Lister in Stevenage and Watford General and also changes with maternity services in Hertfordshire the unit at Hemel closed in 2002 and at the QE2 in Welland Garden City last year. So what's being suggested isn't hugely out of the ordinary. Uh, Jess, listen, thank you very much. We'll follow this story as it goes on. Later on in the show, we will hear from the Milton Keynes councillor who's calling for more openness and to find out um, which hospitals will be affected. It does seem odd that it's... the, the, The thing that strikes me is that it's being so secretive. Uh, and we don't know which hospitals are being talked about there. Thank you, Jessica Cooper, by the way, for that, uh, for that report. It, 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 that's the thing, isn't it? You want the openness. How do you feel about this? Does it worry you? Only 14 people have signed a petition. It's not that many, is it? I thought there would be hundreds, but it's, it's 14. If this is something that concerns you, could you give me a call and let me know? 08459 455 555. Also, we'll be talking about dressing your kids up for Halloween. Did you do it? You could be a bad parent in that case. And later on, I'll be talking cobblers. Yes, all right. Abba, Dancing Queen, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call about anything. An interesting thing, if you dress your kids up in costumes for Halloween, particularly babies, then you could be a bad parent. You're accessorising them according to one children's charity. Do you agree? The move, Blackberry Way, I've heard that for a long time. I love that song. What a great song to have at 20 past six. Now, regular listeners will be expecting uh, to get the weather now. It's moved. It's moved. I'll be honest, I was expecting a huge fooey when we moved the weather. It turns out none of you are that bothered. But I feel it's my duty to let you know the weather is now the quarter two-ish. 6.45-ish, 7.45-ish and 8.45-ish. Now, when your children were at school, they may have had confidence issues or had problems with other kids in the playground. Well, that's what happened to a seven-year-old from Baldock. To try and help, her mum hired a life coach. Mum Kate Harrison joins me now. Morning, Kate. Good morning, Ian. What was happening to your daughter? Um, I think what was happening to her was probably what happens in playgrounds all over the country. Um, just the, the, the playground politics and the pressures of the playground of of just, you know, kids saying, you can't join in our game, or this is just a game for two, or you're not my best friend anymore. Oh, kids are, ho- kids are horrible, aren't they? <laughs> we, we, we know that. We're all there. We've all been there and done it and been part yeah. of it, but they are, they are horrible, aren't they? They are. It, yeah. it's, it's a really hard time, I think, especially those primary years, is, um, is, is, is quite a big deal. And, and the playground can be such a huge place for a child. Yeah. And, um, what it, effect was it having on her? 
Well, she's she's a really bright, confident, happy little girl. And um, over, I think it sort of probably started in about year one. Now, what what I, I get confused with that? What age is year one? About she would have been five. Okay, right. Yes. So, um, and and it just sort of got to be that from being a child that really liked school, she'd start talking about that she didn't want to go and that she'd cry a lot at night time when often problems become overwhelming, don't they, just before you go to bed. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't like what we would call bullying. No. Right. No, no, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't. just a playground politics. It was just the, just the usual things that happen in a playground, and, um, which almost makes it harder because there's not a, 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 a sort of a set thing that happens yes. for just struggling. Um, if you're bullied, I know the school would have leapt in there. Oh, yeah, you can and, say, little Johnny's doing this to uh, little Susie. Can yes, you can exactly. you stop it and separate them, please? Absolutely, yeah. and, uh, and, and things are in place. But when a child is just finding it hard emotionally to cope with the stresses and just finds it overwhelming to be in the playground, um, that can be a bit tricky. And, and I tried for, certainly through to year three, to try all kinds of things to help boost her confidence. What sort of things did you, did you do, Kate? Well, we can we can we mention her name, by the way? Do you mind, or do you, would you rather we didn't? No, I don't mind. So, it's Bella, isn't it? Yes, it well, is. What kind of things did you do with Bella to well, try and help? Um, I would listen. She would tell me what had happened, and it would be something, you know, like I wanted to be. Uh, we played a game, and I wanted to be the unicorn, but no one let me. I had to be the cat. Oh man, I and hate being the cat in games. I don't, well, I don't blame her. Yeah, I know it was quite serious, and. So you sort of, at first, it's, well, that's all right, that's sweetheart. You can either choose to be what they want you to be, or you can go and find something else to do. You know, you just sort of, you take it relatively light-hearted at first, thinking that's just a little kid having, mm. finding a small thing a big problem. But um, then after sort of months and months, it wasn't every day, but it would be every few weeks. And then by year two, it was happening more frequently. By year three, she was often sort of nightly in tears and would be talking sometimes till nine or ten o'clock with me trying to work through solutions for her. Kate, can I ask, is Bella particularly sensitive? Because some people might say that most kids go through these kind of things. And I think they do. My my son is a a different kettle of fish. Mm. He'll get told the same thing. And whilst he doesn't like it and it makes him feel sad, he'll brush it off and go and find something else to do. And the whole thing sort of doesn't really last for him much. What, when did you decide to uh, approach a life coach to help with this? I think sort of as she was, um, this was coming to the end of last year, beginning of this year, where she was sort of in the middle of of year three, I I, I would imagine, and she was seven. And it had got to be that I, I was in tears. I'd go to bed crying at night. She was in bed crying at night. I was getting frustrated because all the, the months I'd sort of dedicated to trying to boost her confidence and, and offer solutions, and, and I talked to the teachers at the school, and they were very helpful, but I can't expect the teachers to run out and sort out every squabble in the playground. Mm. And short of coming with her, which I was busting to do and be with her at every playtime, I, um, I didn't know what else to do, and it had become that it was dominating family life, and I didn't want her to become chronically unconfident and that by the time she started secondary school, she was already hating school and had low self-esteem and low confidence. I wanted to stop it and help her now. So what did the life coach, uh, Naomi, wasn't it? What did yeah. Naomi, the life coach, do? Well, I think, I, I mean, initially I, I went to the GP for something completely unrelated and just happened to ask him, what, what can I do to help my daughter with her confidence? Because what I'm doing doesn't seem to be doing the trick. 
and he said there's a long waiting list and I wouldn't she wouldn't get seen for months so I, I went home and looked on various parenting forums to see if there was anybody else who was going through what I was yeah. and what they had done and on there they mentioned that they'd taken their child to a life coach so I, I googled it and I had a look to see and found Naomi and went onto her website and, and I liked her philosophy that she empowered, talked about empowering children to help their own to, to, to help themselves. And Kate, just because we are running out of time, how did she do that? What, what, how did she empower well, she, Bella? It was, she had two sessions of 45 minutes where they worked out what was worrying her the most. They would um, draw up plans of about five things that she could do when she came up against certain situations. And she went to school armed with a bit of paper with a list of mm. things. And she would go through them. And just having, even though there were things that I probably talked to her about, having them talking to someone who wasn't me, who was un, not emotionally involved, yeah. and having a physical piece of paper in front of her that gave her these solutions, gave her such confidence that she had control. And she, when she saw that she never got to the fifth one, that, that, that something would work for her, it, it gave her such a sense of confidence and power that she could control what happened and she didn't need to be so scared. And so she, how many sessions did she have in total? It was, it was only two. It was only two? Two 45-minute sessions. Can I ask how much those sessions cost? Yes, they were £70 each. <laughs> I know. What? I know. Kate! I know. <laughs> Blimey! I, I must say it was a tight month. Yes, I, I, I bet it was. But well, those I two, those... by that point, if she, she would have said anything, and I, I just think... She just, just was so calm and confident. And those two Bella. sessions were enough to... Uh, th- 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 how long... solve the solution. She still... She'll get upset about things. Right. But then we sit down and say, well, let's work out what we'll do tomorrow, and we'll sit down and make up these plans. And she has the confidence and, and the knowledge now that they can work. Okay, very quick. Final question. There, yes. there are some people listening to this going, for goodness sakes, get a grip. You, you just need to be a bit firmer with her, and she just needed to talk to someone else about it that wasn't you. I'm, su- I'm sure they What do. would you say to those people, Kate? Well, I'm sure they do, and I tried and to, to do all of that. And, and a solution works for different people, and this one worked for me. Testing is a very subjective thing, isn't it? Of course it is, Kate. Listen, thank you very much indeed. That's Kate Harrison, who hired a life coach for her daughter, Bella, who was, wasn't being bullied at school, but was, was struggling in those... And kids are horrible, aren't they? That's all part of growing up, because you learn how to interact and what's acceptable and what isn't, and, and it, it can be a nightmare, the playground. Uh, so she went to uh, a, a life coach. Two sessions, though. That's not bad. Well, later on, we'll be speaking to the life coach who worked with Bella. I do find the term... And it seems to work there with Bella, and that's fantastic. Two sessions, great. Well done. I find the term life coach a little bit vague. We will be speaking to the life coach later on who worked with Bella. If you've had experience with a life coach, could you give me a call? I don't don't quite know what they are or what they do. 08459 455 555... Call 08459-455-555-BBC-3Counties-Radio. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Just have a little look at some pictures we got up there, and, and we'll discuss it in a bit, OK? And also, and this is very, very appropriate for what's going on with me right now, nearly half of us don't trust estate agents. Can we have your estate agent story, please? We've all got, we've all got them. I'm in the middle of one that's developing right now. Boy, oh boy, did I get an email yesterday that was um, f- frustrating, I think we can say. Your estate agent stories... Oh, 
if you're an estate agent or you want to defend them, then please do. They're surely they're indefensible, aren't they? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh, it's the Supremes. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Here's a question: What do you think of contemporary art? Is it modern and thought-provoking, or just a bit of a con, a bit weird? I tell you what, I, f- I find most of it hilarious, that, and, I, and I think it's meant to be funny, isn't it? It's it's, it's meant to be, it's meant to make you laugh and go, "Oh, that's funny." I'm asking this because four artists, uh, the four artists, have been shortlisted for prestigious Contemporary Art Award, the Turner Prize. And I want to know what it all means and what it all means to you. Well. We sent BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria to the Contemporary Art Gallery, the Departure Lounge, in Luton, to meet curator and director Matthew Shaw. They had a look at his latest exhibition, Fragments and Cohesions. Well, welcome, Sophie. Uh, it's nice to see you. Um, we are here at Departure Lounge, which is at 61 George Street, which is a new gallery that we are trying to set up in and for Luton. Although I'm interested primarily in photography, I, I, I broke down and agreed to share some sculpture in this show. And what we're looking now at is uh, Andrew's work. Let me just explain what we're looking at. Um, it's a frame. This is just from a, from a novice's a layman's a point, layman's of, point layman's of view. Point, a laywoman's point. A laywoman's point of view. I see a frame made of black sticks. They're sort of in diagonal shapes, joined together by small gold bolts. Then on the top left-hand corner, right-hand corner, mm. depending upon where, which way you look at it, there's this strange, unusual material. And if I touch it, I think it's latex. Um, it's only covering one corner of the sculpture, and it hangs down a little bit like... Well, porridge, to be honest. It does, it does. I mean, Andrew has really achieved very effectively the, um, the, the look of something that looks like it was spilt on it, but uh, it is actually there on purpose. What does it mean? What, what's this supposed to symbolise? Well, Andrew, basically, he's quite interested in the idea that there is actually a sort of mathematical order to everything that we do see and think. Um, and the blob of uh, latex over the top of it is, is, is something about sort of uh, the suggestion of the chaos that overlays that, that we exist in every day, because most of us don't really realise, although it is indeed entirely true, there are mathematical rules that um, govern our lives. And this, what's this here? Ah, oh, okay. That's a, that's a, that's a, an attractive hole in between in between two bits of plasterboard that divide one room from another. That's not. That's art. not part of the exhibition. <laughs> but you would forgive me. I for would. I would absolutely forgive you. That, that that hole in the wall may be contemporary art. I would forgive you for that, and I, I and I, I say respect to you for thinking that because you know actually people have been known to buy things like that. I, see, I love all that. I love all that stuff. Isn't it? If you call it art, then it's art. Hey, this flask here put on top of this CD player, that's art. And it is because I've called it art. That's the beauty of it. Well, Sophie didn't do very well in, in interpreting contemporary art. How would you do? Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We've put up two, uh, two photos of uh, contemporary art, modern art. And I kind of just like your, your views on them. At a glimpse... One just looks like a big box full of wires, and the other one looks like a bit of metal with some paper on it. I, that's at the glimpse. Have a look at them. Just study them and, and, and kind of give us your little, you know, your little ideas as to what you think they are. You can also see them uh, on Twitter as well, if you follow at BBC3CR. Uh, you can see them uh, up there.
Uh, and later on, um, oh, I've got another thing. Of course, uh, we sent her out with these two pictures. I do apologise, Sophie. I was cutting you short. How rude of me! We sent her out with these two pictures um, t- to have a listen to what you thought about them out on the street. It looks a bit like a leaf or leather or. What do you think that represents there? What it represents to the artist. What do you think he was thinking? Autumn. Yeah, autumn. autumn yeah. What about this one here? What was this artist thinking? Oh, blimey. Looks a bit of a mess. Really. Me? Yes, that's what I was going to um, say. It's a bit messy. What if I told you that the artist that created this sculpture was trying to represent busy life? Yeah, yes, yes, actually, I would say that's yeah, definitely. Yeah, it looks a bit mixed definitely. up to me. It looks a bit stressed. Nice spaghetti actually. Yes. The world. What about this one here? Oh, chaos. Hmm. I think it's like um, opposites and controversy. Sir, this is the first piece. What's your interpretation of this? Uh, dog dog let me show you another one okay. wires in a box that reminds me of uh, what's it emin emin not sold on her stuff she's obviously a great artist of our time supposedly so this indeed must also be a great artist right i'm not sure it convinces me have a look, BBC, uh, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. Later on in the show, we'll have Matthew Shaw in. He's the curator and director of Contemporary Art Gallery in Luton, the Departure Lounge. Maybe he can tell us what it's all about. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. The new regime in charge uh, at Watford faced their first public questioning this evening with a fans forum at Vicarage Road. Manager Gianfranco Zola, technical director Gianluca Nani and chief executive Scott Duxbury will face questions from fans. Professor John Fowle chairs Watford Supporters Trust. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Ian. What are you hoping to hear tonight? Well, I, I just want to get some open and honest answers that I'm sure the fans want to be informed about various things. Um... It's a lot different to reading it in the newspaper or hearing second-hand reports on radio or even reading blogs uh, on the web to be able to get from the horse's mouth, so to speak, answers to the questions that that they want. Have you been impressed by the new owners so far? So far, I think they've been very good. They're trying to gain stability for the club, financial stability, and I think that's very important, uh, probably the most important thing for Watford. Uh, and they are appear to be willing to be very open about what they're doing, and that is a big step forward from the previous regime. Is it usual to have these fan forums, Oh, Professor? yes. They're very common, and, right. and in fact, fans want this sort of thing, and quite rightly, I, I'm going tonight, and I'm going to thoroughly enjoy it, um, because it gives us an opportunity to uh, get our questions answered face-to-face. Now, I, I'm in a slightly different position, because the, the, through the Trust, we do have regular meetings with uh, the senior management of the club, but the average fan doesn't, and this is a huge opportunity for them. Could it kick off? Oh, I just used a football pun. I didn't realise. I'm clever. Could, but, but could it get a bit nasty? I... We want heckling. Get... Come on, John. We want someone shouting out of the back. It could be feisty, um, depending on what the answers are at the start. Right. Um, you know, it got fairly exciting last time when we had the uh, the one that uh, Lawrence Bassini didn't turn up to. Mm. Uh, and uh, that got very exciting. Do the owners pay any attention to these, or is it just a bit of PR fluff? Uh, I think they do, yes, because they get the they get a better feel 
for the way that the fans think about various things from the questions that are coming. Um, and, and that's quite important for them. It, it, it will make, I think, massive differences mm. immediately, but it, it influences the way that they will do things. Redeveloping the ground or rebuilding the team, which is the, the, the key issue out of those two? Well, I think the first thing is um, rebuilding the team because that will get bums on seats. Bums on seats means revenue. Revenue means that you can then start to redevelop the ground. And the future of the club, the, the club's academy is, is an issue as well, isn't it? Um, that's been a question. Um, we've had reassurances, and I'm fairly confident, but I'm sure that uh, many of the fans want to hear from uh, Scott Duxbury, uh, Nani, and from uh, uh, Jan Franco uh, what they really think, it, it, you know, from their mouths. Uh, I, I've heard, and I'm fairly confident, that uh, I'm comfortable with what they're doing and why they're doing it, but it's important that they get the opportunity to communicate directly to the fans. Professor John Foucher is the Watford Supporters Trust. Thank you for that. You can hear the forum live on our FM frequencies tonight. Now, estate agents. Ooh, dogs lead. Sexy. Um, uh, estate agents. Nearly half of us do not trust estate agents to provide truthful and honest advice. That's according to a survey conducted by the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. They're calling for it to become compulsory for all estate agents to join a professional regulation scheme. Victoria Sheridan is a former estate agent. She joins me now. Good morning, Victoria. Hello, how are you? You're a former estate agent. You got <laughs> out, did you? I, I did, yes. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask why? Um, I decided I wanted to do something which was a little bit more on the creative side. I went and set up a corporate communications agency. But those estate agents are creative. They're creative with the <laughs> complete bullshine that they, they describe their houses with. <laughs> well, um, I, I think yes and no. I think it's, better, it's not fair to tar us all with the same brush. <laughs> Listen, Victoria, we, we've lost your line a little bit. We're going we're gonna to call you back and see if we can get a bit, better line. While we're um, uh, trying to get Victoria in a slightly better reception area, uh, uh, the, the question, I guess, is, and, and let's, let's just cut straight to the chase, have you, when has an estate agent lied to you? Because let's be honest, they, they do, don't they? They do. Whether it's you selling your house, there is one estate agent's company, I won't mention them, but you know who they are if you've tried to sell your house, where they give you a price... And it's like about twenty five, thirty, thirty five thousand pounds more than it, you're actually going to get for it. So when have they lied to you? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Victoria, are you back? Are you standing near a window Hi, now? I am here now. There, yeah. Oh, that's Hello. much better. We can hear you. <laughs> Fantastic. What, what, what are your experiences of, of estate agents being uh, a little bit loose with the truth? Okay, so I think it very much depends um, on the individual um, agency, I have to say. Every agent is different, um, and I would say to anybody that it's important to get to know the agent before um, you obviously enter into that process, Um, because one one agency varies completely from another. You'll have one agency which has got, you know, for example, very low basic salaries in in place and extremely high commissions, which obviously encourages, you know, this sort of target-based culture, and then obviously, consequently, that's sort of very competitive streak um and you know sometimes you know of course you you know they might be a bit more economical with the truth um <laughs> but then you, you you do often have a situation that i was fortunate enough to be in an agency where you know it, the emphasis is kind of building personal
personal relationships with the clients and sort of getting to know them very well. I think it's very important to have that um, that, that sort of there. And it's not so much, you know, about uh, about targets as it is perhaps in, in place in some other agencies. Is there a lot of pressure on these estate agents? That, that, that you, you talk about um, having to hit targets and um, the, the, things like that. Is there pressure on them that kind of encourages encourages this culture of, of, of lying? Um, I wouldn't say it encourages a culture of lying necessarily. Um, I definitely feel that there 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 is a pressure, certainly, and um, perhaps in as, again in some agencies, certainly more than others. And um, for example, if you know you're on a very very low basic salary, um, and you know the, the emphasis is entirely um, on meeting targets and and um, you know commission structures, um, then absolutely that you know that that sort of obviously is, encourages that slightly, but but not so much um, in, in a good agency, which is why it's very important to meet with your agent, call them every single day, make sure that you know them really well, and also that you understand the, the sort of cultural principles. Victoria, I'm in the process of, of, of selling and and hopefully buying, although my agent who we're buying from is... is <laughs> but they played a blinder yesterday. But, but but I can never get hold of them. I send them emails, mm. I phone them. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Steve's not here at the moment. Can, can we take a message? We'll call you straight back. Three days later, Steve calls me back. Yeah. That's not brilliant, is it? That's very naughty, actually. And you know what you must do is is you must actually get hold of the mobile number. Of it. So, so you'll, you'll be assigned an individual negotiator initially, yeah. and you want to get hold of their business card. You want to have make sure that when you register that you have um, an informal discussion, you get to know them. Ask about uh, the the market in general. Ask about other buyers on the market, um, you know, and sort of what they've got available um, and and make sure that you make the time to speak to them and and get hold of them on the mobile perhaps when you can. But again, with, 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 you know, I think I have kind of quite a good um, detector for for, for nonsense, but but when we we, we sold a house a couple of years ago and we're we're moving again, and hopefully this will be the last one for a long time, but with one of those estate agents, they said, oh, very, very buoyant market. Very, I know everyone's saying the market's down, but don't believe what you read in the press. Very mm-hmm. buoyant market. Mm-hmm. And then we, put it, then we put the house on sale. No one came to see it for three weeks. And they said, oh, yeah, it's because it's the Olympics. <laughs> what? What is the Olympics? Got? And then they said, don't worry, after the Olympics, will pick up. Didn't pick up. Yeah, what it is, it's, it's the post-Olympic feeling. But don't worry. And, and then mm-hmm. we started getting offers that were nowhere near the price that they had told us. And they basically just plucked mm-hmm. a figure out of their backside and, and made it up. How do you deal with that, Victoria? How okay. are people supposed to deal with that? Yeah, okay. So, so what's important to do is to obviously do your own research yep. before you go and see them. And then, you know, have, have a sort of very open discussion with the... Ma- when you, where you can, speak to the manager of the agency um because he's the one who actually deals with the vendors um so then there's there'll be a team of negotiators that he'll be managing try and speak to him and um you know and speak to the different agents because one one perception might be different from another one uh, and the other thing that you can do the other option you can explore is to get hold of a buying agent who actually acts on behalf of the buyer um, and will help you um through you know fr- from that point you know from looking at houses narrow it down for you and they will also help you with the conveyancing process um, which is um, definitely an option worth exploring, and there are some very good ones out there, because you have to remember, yeah. at the end of the day, the estate agent works on behalf of the vendor, not on behalf of the buyer. Mm. The compulsory regulation scheme, if that comes into place, how, how would that help? Um, or would it? I'm not entirely sure. I think, I think some, you, you know, it very much depends um, on how long it took to put in place and, you know, I, I, I mean, sort of, you know, what, what exactly that that's going to mean. Um, if it's going to protect potentially alter, you know, target structures and potentially increase basic salaries for agents, which I think is actually very important. 
um, in this process, um, then perhaps that might be, um, you know, a positive thing. Victoria, thank you very much. Victoria Sheridan is a former estate agent. What do you think? Um, the, the reason this is so apt for me at the moment is I am in the process of selling my house and of buying a house. It was all going to be done in b- before Christmas. Oh, we were all going to be in before Christmas. Until we got the email yesterday saying, well, hang on a second. The, 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 this date of uh, the, the second week of December may be unrealistic. Hang on a minute. You suggested the second week of December. We've geared everything up to being the second week of December. There is a chain in place now. And now we have to start doing that hardball game, which I hate playing, of going, well, if this doesn't happen, then maybe we're going to have to pull out. I don't like doing that. Oh, wait, 459 555 Phone up and tell me the, 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 the lies estate agents have told you. When have estate agents lied to you? It will have happened. Oh, it will have happened. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday, it's the 1st of November, it's just gone 7. Coming up in the next hour, fears over A&E and maternity services being downgraded at Three Counties Hospitals. Why a Hertfordshire mum turned to a life coach to help her seven-year-old daughter. And, oh boy, this is so apt to me at the moment. I was on firing angry emails at five o'clock this morning. Wait, we don't trust estate agents. I want to know your stories. What have they lied to you about? You can text 3CR at BBC. Uh, no, hang on, that's the email, isn't it? Yes, I'm an old man, I don't know. You can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. The best way to get in touch, though, give me a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Just, if you can indulge me for a second, uh, if I can just abuse the BBC. Uh, I, I'm going shooting with Jonathan Vernon-Smith today at Luton, who, very, very excited, a little bit scared. He, every time he mentions it, he just gets this kind of weird glint in his eye and a little kind of evil smile. He'd make a good Bond villain, wouldn't he, Jonathan Vernon-Smith? Anyway, we're going. Um, we've had to dress up quite smart. Quite smart. I've got a, a shirt and a jacket, some jeans. And my smart shoes. Now, my smart shoes are quite old. And they have got... Uh, there's a hole in one of the smart shoes underneath and we're going to be stood in water basically and, and it's going to be wet right so i need this is going to sound really stupid i'm i'm nearly 40 years old i've never been to a cobbler's except to get keys cut i've never can you just go to a cobbler's and take your shoes off and say can you do these and can you do them now does it does it work like that will it take long i don't know i don't want to go in there and look like an idiot so I don't mind doing it on the radio. <coughs> Can I go into a cobbler's? Much like that lad in that jeans commercial. You know, remember the jeans commercial in the 80s? Where uh, he went into the laundrette and took his jeans off and put them in and then he, you know, that one and he watched his jeans. It's a similar kind of thing. Can I just go into a cobbler's, take my shoes off, plonk them on the desk and say, could you fix those for me, please, my good man? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I've got no idea, and I don't want to look like a plum. But I do need to get my shoes fixed, otherwise I'm going to have soaking wet feet when I'm running away from JVS later on today. Now back to slightly more serious issues. Concerns are being raised about plans which could see some A and E and maternity services being downgraded at hospitals in the three counties. At the moment, we don't know whether the Luton and Dunstable, Milton Keynes, or Bedford will be affected. Health services are under review there, along with two in Northamptonshire. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is outside Luton and Dunstable Hospital this morning, speaking to people in A&E. Elisa, you're using the A&E department here at Luton and Dunstable this morning. Tell us why you're here. Uh, that's, my daughter is suffering from abdominal pains, so she's been brought in here. And how have you found the service? The service has been excellent. Very, very good. They were quick and 
uh, dealt with everything really calmly. So any type of downgrade would concern you greatly because you're a local person, you use this quite often, you were here six weeks ago with somebody else. Any sort of downgrade would concern you? Oh, most definitely, because it's a very large area. And if they uh, limit the service that's actually available here, then it'll affect an awful lot of people, me included. So, yes, I would be very worried about a downgrade. Kay, in terms of any type of downgrade, that would make you very angry, wouldn't it? Yes, all the, all the, I've worked in care for 25 years mm. and the cutbacks and cutbacks and cutbacks, something is desperately going to happen. Mm. Something is going to go wrong. I mean, even if they were to cut it back, 80% of services would probably still be there. But as far as you're concerned, again, that's just not good enough. That's, that's not good enough. It's mm. not good enough. No. Mm. People need the care. People have paid in for it. Why shouldn't they get the care? Yeah. You last used that service 12 months ago. Just lastly, how did you find the service? How would you score that out of 10? A&E, I've never had any problems with A&E. Eight, nine, they've always been brilliant. Even with the ops that I've had, they've been brilliant. I've had all my children here and everything. But it just gets harder and harder on the poor nurses. Justin Dealey speaking there. Well, one Milton Keynes councillor is calling for the decision-making process to be more open. Labour councillor Nigel Long asked for more uh, information at a meeting last night. He joins me now. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning. What are your concerns about this? My concerns are that there is a government-sponsored campaign called the Healthier Together programme that's looking at the five hospitals, including Milton Keynes and Luton. And what it's not doing is being open with the public about which hospitals may lose their A&E and may lose their consultants at their maternity units. I'm pushing for there to be full and open public debate, and that's not happening at the moment. Why shouldn't services be downgraded at Milton Keynes Hospital? Well, actually, Milton Keynes Hospital needs to be expanded. Milton Keynes is a growing city, and by 2030, we'll be the same size as Bristol. We can't have a small hospital for a city the size of Bristol. We need to actually grow Milton Keynes Hospital. And if Milton Keynes A&E is under threat, that would just be such bad news for the residents of this city. If the maternity unit's going to lose its consultants, that's just madness given the age profile of the city and the number of uh, young parents having children. Of course, there is the chance, Nigel, that, that, that Milton Keynes might not be affected at all. And I guess that's, that's kind of what you want to find out, isn't it? That's precisely it. It may not affect Milton Keynes. It may be that this, this, this government-sponsored review says Milton Keynes shouldn't lose or have its A&E downgraded. It may be that that's elsewhere is identified for, for change. I have to say, we think that the government is trying to do a bit of divide and rule here. They're trying to play Bedford Hospital off against Luton Hospital, off against Milton Keynes Hospital. We think the whole of the health service should be protected and expanded, not cut back by this government. Nigel, stay there on the line, because we can hear now what the clinical lead on the Healthier Together programme has to say. Ed Neil couldn't join us live this morning. We did try and get him, but he did tell our reporter, Tony Fisher, about the changes ahead. We will have... Three A&E departments that have all services behind them that enhanced compared to the current services and a larger consultant presence. And we will have two hospitals who will work closely with those uh, three hospitals so that there are combined protocols um, and the vast majority of patients will still be seen locally. Um, What you have to bear in mind is that the concept of bypassing an A&E department has been in this country for many years. If you have a heart attack, if you have a stroke, if you're in a major car accident, you will be driven past your local hospital potentially to the hospital that has the best services to, um, to help you. 
So what you're saying, in some situations where a person might go to their local A&E, they'll instead go to one that's further away? They'll go to one that's further away, which has better services to treat them. So two hospitals will have their A&E departments effectively downgraded, but which ones? Ed Neal says that they've uh, made no decisions, but it's likely it will be the same two hospitals where they will also be downgrading the maternity units to cater for low-risk births only. The models which are emerging as the best overall are suggesting that those hospitals where you would have uh, a greater chance of a normal delivery will be the two hospitals that will have the um, what we have termed and that's that's almost my term not even the, the program term a networked A&E. Nigel what do you make of those statements? Well, that's, that's telling you exactly what I'm saying which is that two of the five hospitals will no longer have a 24-hour mm. A&E service and two of the five hospitals will no longer have consultants available all the time around the maternity services. What we know from other parts of the country, and there's been a huge review in London, and there's been one up in Manchester uh, recently, is that what it all leads to is cuts in services, and it leads to the closure of A&E. I think there's been something like three or four A&E services closed in in South London alone, and there's a big hoo-ha about that. This is about cuts. There's been figures published that suggest that the aim is £60 million worth of cuts across the five hospitals. I think what that gentleman just did was confirm that two hospitals are about to be downgraded big time, and we want to know which ones they've identified so we can actually have a proper public debate about that. Well, again, have a listen to this. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, asked Ed Neal uh, from Healthier Together why the need for changes, and will patients notice any difference? The reality is that we are struggling increasingly with recruitment issues, single-handed specialties, and working individually as hospitals um, is not where we are going to find more and more problems mm. with so services. it's about concentrating uh, the the best resources at the best best locations absolutely if you take just about any any complex surgical procedure it is well recognized now that now that if you do one a year you will get worse results than if you do one a week so if we concentrate the resources we can deliver those high-quality services going forwards. We have every intention of creating a clinically viable hospital on all five sites. And in fact, if we can't do that, we have failed. The only things that will change is that some of those hospital outpatient appointments will take place in the community, closer to their home, so there'll be less disruption for patients. And they may have to go to another hospital for their inpatient treatment because they will get a better outcome because we've concentrated patients in centres of excellence. Well, he puts it like that, Councillor Long. It sounds OK. Outpatient treatments will be nearer to the home and they will go to hospitals where they'll receive better treatment. I think the evidence from other parts of the country is that these reviews do not deliver any clinical improvements in services. What they deliver is closure of A&E services and the rundown of other services i think that what you're hearing from that gentleman who has a vested interest is a pr campaign to try and sell what are effectively cuts across the five hospitals you can't seriously take 60 million pounds out and not affect the services so i'm not sure we're getting the full picture here and that's why i want a big public debate on it and actually last night that's why milton king's council agreed to question what the Healthier Together campaign was spending on PR consultants. Why not spend that money on the services? We need a proper open public debate. Is Milton Keynes A&E at risk? Is Milton Keynes Maternity Services at risk? I'm a big fan of the hospital. I want to see the hospital grow. 
this process, I really fear, will lead to the hospital being cut back. OK, we have to leave it there, Mil- Milton Keynes Councillor. Uh, Nigel Long of uh, Labour, thank you very much for that indeed. 08459 455 555 if you want to have your say on that. Talking about cobblers, talking cobblers this morning. Got a hole in my shoe. I've never been to a cobbler's before. I'm a little bit scared. It seems like it's like an old-fashioned thing, isn't it? Like chimney sweeps uh, and the milkman. It, it doesn't really happen these days. Um, someone says, Helen Milton Keane says, yes, you can go into a cobbler's, they'll repair your shoes while you wait. Colin says, no, you can't sit and wait for them to be fixed. So, that's really, you, I've really divided on that. Can we get a cobbler on the line, please? 08459 455 555. I need to speak to a cobbler before nine o'clock. I love the fact I'm abusing the BBC for my own purposes. There's a call to make, um, uh, estate agents join a, a group and be more honest. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. We've all got bad estate agent stories, haven't we? When has an estate agent lied to you? 08459 455 555. Uh, Elizabeth is in Baldock. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. How are you this morning? Uh, just got up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah well, 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 well done. Have you got a bad estate agent experience? OK, well, the trouble with estate agents now is they work for fixed fees. Yes. That means that there isn't an incentive to get you the best price. Even if they sell your property for 10p, they still get four, 6,000, whatever it is. Oh. That's the first problem. What about the, um, because you pay a percentage, don't you? No. Oh, but they what? now work on a fixed Oh, I'm paying a percentage on mine. Ah. On the one I'm selling, yes, yeah. there's, there's a percentage on it. So that depends right. how much they get for you. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. But a, an awful lot is fixed. Right, okay. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're going some distance, and the other end, some distance, I'm saying to you, you'd have to cross the sea, but you'd still be in this country. Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell you that that has been horrific. Because we're dealing with such a small area, if something good comes up, you don't get a look in because they want to, to, to keep it for the person because they want to sell their property. What? Hang on, I'm confused. Who are they keeping it for? Uh, the person who lives within that area who would really oh, like see. that property. So if you're moving to a different area, you say you're at a slight disadvantage. I'm talking, think about 300 miles away. Yes, okay, I'm thinking. Okay. Um, we have offered on a property, lost it, yes. came back on, yeah. offered above the asking price, and although it was still for sale on the net, we couldn't get it. The reason we couldn't get it was it was being held onto for somebody's property they were selling. Now do you understand? If anything, that's muddied the waters even more. So, yes, but we wh- do have two complaints on the go. Right, I tell you. So they wouldn't. But why? C- I can't understand. If you offered above the um, the asking price and yes. they accepted on it, no, they didn't. Oh, it never went oh. forward. Now do you see where I'm coming from? Almost. Why didn't it go forward? Because they were going to it. Somebody wanted that property. They were selling theirs, and uh, until it was sold, wasn't going to go to anyone else think about that one i will do thank you very much i got i got a little bit it well it just goes to show doesn't it how confusing it is buying houses it's really confusing man i'm having a nightmare at the moment anyway we'll talk about that later on elizabeth thank you very much if you want to give us a call and tell us um your confusing house story oh wait maybe you could send us a diagram elizabeth that would help a little bit i think oh eight four five nine four double five five double five now 
When your children were at school, they may have had confidence issues or have problems with other kids in the playground. That's what happened to a seven-year-old from Baldock. To try and help, her mum hired a life coach. I spoke to the mum, Kate Harrison, earlier. From being a child that really liked school, should start talking about that she didn't want to go and that she'd cry a lot at night time when often problems become overwhelming, don't they, just before you go to bed. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like what we would call bullying. No. Right. No, no, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't. just the playground politics. It was just the, just the usual things that happen in a playground, and um, which almost makes it harder because there's not a, a, a sort of a set thing that happens yes. for just struggling. Um, if you're bullied, I know the school would have leapt in there. Oh, yeah, you can say, little Johnny's doing this to little Susie. Can yes, you can you exactly. stop it and separate them, please? Absolutely, yeah. and, uh, and, and things are in place. But when a child is just finding it hard emotionally to cope with the stresses and just finds it overwhelming to be in the playground, that can be a bit tricky. Well, Naomi Richards is the life coach who helped Kate's daughter, Bella. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming in. Naomi, what, what, now, I hear the term life coach... Yes. Sounds a little bit wishy-washy. We've been coaching with our life. What exactly does it mean? Um, essentially, well, with me working with children, it basically means giving children the tools so that they can solve their own problems. Mm. Um, so basically, I, I empower children, really, to take responsibility. Is it just kids that you work with, or do you work with adults as well? I only work with um, children, yes. Okay. How did you become a life coach? Oh, gosh. Um... I think it, it was a point of, of when I was just about to start a family and I wanted to do something different. Mm. Um, I wanted something to fit around my children um, so I could be there for them, really. Mm. Um, and decided, you know, what was I good at? Um, I was good at problem solving. I'm very creative and I absolutely love kids and I'd, I'd worked with them in the past. So, is this, is, so there's no training. Is this just then the stuff you're saying to these kids? Is it then just common sense? Is it common sense? Um, I suppose some of it is, and some of it. Because you're, you're not a psychologist, or a I'm not a psychologist. Like okay. I do have a life um, coaching qualification, okay, um, and that does include psychological coaching, right? Um, and yeah, some of it is common sense, yeah. but but I think. A lot of the stuff is individual as well. I mean, I used to work in marketing, and I think that's really, really helped mm. me going forward because I've kind of got that creative mind, and I can really get a child to open up and think about the, their situation that they're in. We, we spoke to, to Bella's mum, and uh, I was surprised it only took two sessions. It did, yes. Now, without breaking any confidentiality, what kind of things... She said that you, you gave her the, the step plan to go yes. through things. What, what kind of things were they? Gosh, um, they're all different, really. It's I think when I was working with Bella, it was it was mainly about friendships, and it was about how did how did she what did she want from the friendships? Mm. Really, what was her goal? And she wanted to be able to handle the the friends around her and not feel that you know wanted to be able to cope emotionally mm. with what was going on in the playground. And so what I did is we talked about those kind of ways. And it might be that she said something back to the children um, in a nice way. Yes, she yeah. may have said something in a funny way yeah. um, to be included. Um, it's just about changing your mindset. And I think that's the problem here with a lot of friendships. Children say things to other children and they believe them. Yeah, our kids are horrible. We yes. did, I remember I was horrible and I had horrible things done to me as a kid. And I'm seeing it with my nephew, who's seven. The kids are horrible, mm. and there will be some people listening who go, "Oh, for goodness' sakes, come on, just, just that's what that's what life is. Get on with it." It, it is kind of, but um, I mean, I would say parents approach me because they need. They, they, first of all, they need an outsider, mm. um, somebody that's kind of completely independent, where that child can say whatever they want in a neutral space. And secondly, you know, not all parents have kind of creative problem solving mm. um tactics i suppose and so they send them to me and what i do is i bring new things to the table 
mm. um, for sure. So, and and also there's an element of child brings a problem to a parent and the parents say this is what you need to do mm. what i'm doing is saying to the child right what could you possibly do let's look at all the options mm. and let's find the best one for you because they only they really know their situation especially in the playground bella had two sessions do other kids need more um some children yes do need more but i would say the majority of the children i work with need two or three okay 70 quid a pop that's not bad going is it um, it's not bad going. Um, <laughs> Which, I mean, what I'm saying is that's quite a lot of money, isn't it? It is, but it, it is. Um, but I think if you, I suppose, if you want your child to grow up to be the to be happy and for that child to have the kind of skills that you want for them to be resilient adults when they're older, then you know it's worthwhile. You know, people will spend um, spend money on their children so that they can cope with life of course. you know uh, i guess the point is, is, is pa- that's perhaps a little bit exclusive that kind of price isn't it to some people would would struggle to it, it would be, be able to um, pay that but there are there are life coaches that char- okay. that charge a lot more okay really yes how much do they charge um some life coaches will charge maybe 100 150 pounds I'm totally in the wrong business <laughs> i'm totally in the wrong business say that because we've got sue minto on the line she's head of Childline for the uk good morning sue Good morning. What do you What do you think when you hear of a, 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 coach, a life coach being used for a seven year old? Um, I suppose when I first heard it, I thought it was really quite an interesting option uh, and choice. I, I certainly agree that when you're working with children, young people, you very much need to work at their pace, mm. and you very much need to be discussing options with them rather than telling them what to do. Um, but obviously you know the best possible option uh, and i know it's not always possible is for parents to be able to um communicate with their children and be there for them every step of the way not just when they're seven and having problems but when they're 15 and having problems well, I guess the, one of the things i discovered doing this job is that some parents aren't there are they so we, we talked about the number of parents that, that read even read to their kids or talk to their kids and a lot of them don't no, uh, uh, I agree, and uh, well, certainly when I'm talking about how do we help our children open up mm. and discuss the things that are worrying, then, you know, there's a couple of things that I would always talk about. One is that you absolutely, as a parent or an adult, shouldn't underestimate the impact of some of these issues for children, you know, like um, friendships and family relationships or bullying or, you know, all sorts of things. We shouldn't underestimate the impact. And the, and the second thing is we absolutely have to make time for our children. I, and I guess that's part of the problem there, isn't it? Is that, yes. that we forget that when we were four, five, six, seven, that if someone came up to us in the playground and said, no, you're, sorry, you're not playing with us, we don't like you today, that was a devastating thing, wasn't it? And it, it is a devastating thing for a seven-year-old to hear it, that. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, you know, children go from, from maybe being with, I don't know, mum or, or a child carer on a one-to-one to suddenly being expe- going to school and being mm. exposed to lots of different personalities. And, you know, that can have a huge impact on, on a child when they're, sta- you know, when they're starting school mm. because, you know, they're just not used to the, to the different types of personalities and things that say. And, you know, you've got, you may have a sensitive child and all it takes is one flippant comment and that child's self-esteem is kind of falling apart and the way that they view themselves can be very, very different. You know, I, I agree with Sue, you know, it, you know if, if parents, if we all had the time and we all had the resource and tap into our children and could see what they were going mm. through, um, then, then, then great. Mm. But, you know, I find that some, you know, parents use me because either 
you know their, their time short or they just don't have the resources more importantly mm. they don't have the resources and the creativity so very quickly can i ask you a question on a slightly different thing if you don't mind mm. uh, we, 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 we've been talking we'll talk a bit more about the, the the charity childscape who've said that if you dress your babies up and your your babies that crawl around up in uh, a kidscape sorry uh, in the, the pumpkins and halloween costumes it, it you're you're accessorizing the child and it, it's not fair on the baby what do you think on that Oh, <laughs> I know. I've just thrown uh, that at you. Sorry. You have no. That's okay. Um, yeah, because I, I guess they're talking about children who aren't at an age yet where they're choosing to. Uh, they have some understanding about Halloween or no. whatever event, and they're choosing to dress like that. And instead, I mean, I, I I think that we have to be. I think we have to be careful um, because what motivates parents is really what's the important thing here yeah. and if your motivation i think is about you know about a sense of fun about raising your children to enjoy different events different times of the year and you're going to be there and you're going to do all those things with them mm. if that's your starting point and you actually happen to be a parent who thinks that you'll start i mean lots of us bought little santa suits and things for our babies when they were little and they a, ba- a, baby dress- a baby dress as a, as a chick at easter it doesn't get any better than that <laughs> You know, so uh, I, I guess I, I think it's about motivation. I mean, if their motivation is actually more about showing off your baby and look what I've done, to, yes. you know, and look at my child, I then I, I, you know, obviously that's not yeah. it's not the best thing. But if it is about a real sense of fun, having having time with your child, you know, then then that's good strong motivation. So we have to leave it there. Sue Minto, head of Childline for the UK, uh, and Naomi Richards, life coach. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. That fascinating. On the third and final day of England's tour match against India A in Mumbai, India, uh, Ing- I keep saying India, it's England, England are leading by focus, 57. Focus, for goodness sakes, focus, this I is important to some people. I can't believe how well we're doing, England are leading by 57, it's exciting, a few moments ago they're on 426 for 9 after nine, 119 overs, it's almost too much, I'll be back in half an hour. Yeah, no, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> Across best how rude. parts how of rude. this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up, lots coming up. I'm enjoying the show today. I hope you are. I'm having fun. Uh, Putting your baby in fancy dress objectifies them, and they have no say in how they look. That's according to children's charity Kidscape. We'll speak to them next. And only half of us trust estate agents to be honest and truthful. Hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why. When has an estate agent lied to you? What have they lied about? 08459 455 555. Now, how do you feel when you see uh, a young baby in a fancy dress costume? Is it cute, or is the parent objectifying them? Uh, Claude Knight is the director of uh, Claude Knight, sorry, is the director of Kidscape, uh, Kidscape, and says we should think about the messages we are sending about our attitudes to children. She joins me now. Good morning, Claude. Good morning, Ian. It's only a bit of fun, isn't it? Yes, I, 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 I know. I don't want to make this into a huge thing, but my comments really related to the fact that. In so many cases now, uh, the commercialization of childhood, you know, is so evident. Yes. And I'm talking here about small babies, you know, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, young children having fancy dress, Halloween, all of okay, that. Okay, so toddlers dressing up as, as Buzz Lightyear and stuff, that's fine. Yeah, so, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, but it was just a more sinister development in terms of, mm. you know, the, the merchandising that's out there, you know, the, the kind of coordination of, you know, m- of m- perhaps, you know, babies with, with, with mother, parents 
insurance at that huge high expense. And, you know, in, in the current climate as well, you know, we have to think of, of, of that, that, that kind of thing. You have to remember also that, yes, I mean, all this is done to babies. You know, we have, yeah. we've had extreme situations where there have been, and they still exist, you can still get them online, you know, high heels for, for babies. Yeah. What, you really? Know? You get high heels yes, for babies? You look at You're not supposed to put shoes on babies, for exactly, goodness sakes. Exactly, exactly. You know, so really, this was as a response to the fact that some, you know, obviously some manufacturers are taking it to extremes and if it's available people are buying it you have to ask why are people making it? is it you know we know chicken and egg is it because people want this or is it because they're available but there are you know real tr- i mean bikinis for babies you know no it, no not the bikinis for babies yes, for know, babies so i mean my comments were made in the context of a much much bigger picture where i think we just say i'm, I'm asking people to say you know Stop. You know what is baby babyhood? I'm saying not ba- what is babyhood about? Then are you, you know, sure about bikinis for babies? I've just googled it and it's it's corrected it to bikini babes. I won't click on that. But no, you, no, don't do that. No, I don't. I don't want to see that first thing in the morning. Maybe later on. No, but yeah, are you saying that you can really get bikinis for babies? Absolutely, no. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it, uh, you know, and and in fact, there. I, again, you know, I suppose because I, you know, we we do, a, you know, kids yeah. behave passionately about the sanctity of childhood. I was caught in, in because it was a, a it was aligned to a celebrity, and and in, in fact, there's a whole industry out there, uh, and it costs two, you know, you can pay two hundred pounds for for a baby bikini. Yeah. What about what about dressing up babies for Halloween in a pumpkin, or as a bat, or as a spider? You know, you know, they're, they're, they're Come all, on. I mean, no, most, most listeners here will think this is so, so That's cute. a bit, that's a bit of fun. My little baby, who's, um, where is he now? He's ten months. Uh, we dress him up as a bat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, is yeah. there? You know, it's, it's, uh, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, you know, we, we had, we had situations where, you know, three, four month olds were being dressed up as devils and so on. I just think, you know, we just have to ask ourselves, Basically, it's you know freedom of choice. Right. We have but to ask ourselves, you know, what's all this about? What? Are, why are we doing it? Yeah. You know, this this little tiny tot doesn't understand. It's all about you know things. I but mean, it's fun. It's fun. Okay, when my first boy was, um, he was born in January, February, March, April. When he was three months old, we dressed him up uh, as a chick for Easter. Mm. That's just fun, though, isn't it? Yes. No, I don't want to spoil fun. There's so little fun left in life. There but, is. Um, all I'm saying is, you know, look at look at where we draw lines. Look at. Look, you know, what are what? Why are we doing it? Is you know, are we are we channeling? You know, are we sort of perpetuating? You know, this kind of in, uh, an industry which you know the commercialization commercialization of childhood, which will take every single opportunity. You know, to actually take everything down the age range. But if parents if parents want to do that, and if parents can afford, I don't think any parents are feeling uh, feeling forced and are overspending. If they want to do that, it's nice. And also, when the kids are fifteen and they bring their first girlfriend or boyfriend home, you can go, yeah, have a look at this. He was a chick. <laughs> when he was a baby. That would make you very popular. Yes. Oh, that's what it's all about. That's what it's about, yes. having kids, isn't it? Yes, I, I, know, I, you know, I don't want to be misinterpreted and, and you know, be, be sort of judged as someone who, who, who doesn't believe in fun. Of course it's fun. All I'm saying is, let's just be aware, please, where the fun, you know, where, it's, where the fun stops and that there are aspects which, you know, go over that line. And so let's, let's just, just, just so we can find that line closer, that we, we get the point across. Would you say, um, babies wearing high heels, that crosses the line? Yes, absolutely. Babies dressed up as teddy bears does that cross the line no 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 okay babies dressed up as pumpkins 
no, you know, I mean, I, in the context, no, 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 no. All, but but we have to, you know, it's more. This this comment was more about the, you know the, the accessorization okay. of objects, you know, making them into into objects for our own purpose, really. I think people would agree that that that's yeah. incorrect, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Claude, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming well, thank on. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. That's Claude Knight. She's the director of Kidscape, and uh, her, her, she says we should think about the messages that we're sending about our attitudes to children. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. Uh, oh, Jonathan uh, Vernon Smith show today. The NatWest Bank has confirmed that Jimmy Savile's assets have been frozen in response to the sex abuse claims made against him. Savile's estate is thought to be worth about four million. Lawyers representing those who claim they were attacked by Savile are planning to sue the estate for damages. On the big phone-in at nine o'clock, Jonathan Vernon Smith wants to know, should Jimmy Savile's victims receive compensation? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, you can give us a call about uh, anything you want, 08459 455 555. You can text us as well, um, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Mark in Bedford says, a life coach for kids, OMG. I am reliably informed, that means, oh my God. A fool and their money are easily parted. If a parent can't sort out the problem in the playground, they're in for a shock when they become teenagers. And on Twitter, read the life coach Hilda Stern says, am I reading this correctly? Life coach for children. What a sad state of affairs. Do you know what? I kind of had that opinion until I met her. I thought, oh yeah, she seems like quite a sensible lady. Uh, And found out the the, the case we were talking about, it was only two sessions. If it had been, you know, ten sessions at 70 quid a pop, then yes, maybe I would have been a little bit more, a bit harsher. But I thought, if you're struggling, you go to any lengths, don't you? And also, um, I I, I know, listen, I've never been to a cobbler's before. I have a hole in my shoe. I'm going to be standing in in a muddy field later on. Can Can you just go into a cobbler's and say, fix my shoe, my good man? Uh, Jonathan, uh, oh no, who's this? Um, I don't know who this is, anonymous Adding St Albans, I apologise Uh, Ian, please don't address the cobbler as my good man Oh (laughs) Really, I use one who, if asked nicely Will mend a pair of boots while I wait But take a spare pair and go off for a coffee While you wait, I haven't got a spare pair And I need them done Also, it sounds as if your chosen footwear will not be suitable for the shoot Comfortable, smart and waterproof Don't mistake Jonathan for a skeet Well, uh, you, you, you never know You never know what's going to happen now, contemporary art, modern and thought-provoking, or just a load of old nonsense? Uh, the four artists, uh, now the four artists have been shortlisted for prestigious contemporary art award, the Turner Prize. We're looking at what makes contemporary art. We've put two pictures on our Facebook page to see how you've interpreted them now. Uh, we can re- re- reveal that the, the box of wires, it's just a box of wires, taken by our reporter, Sophie Solaria, and the other one that looks like a, you know, like a kid's toy with some paper on, it's a sculpture by contemporary artist Andrew Rickett. Well, with us now is Matthew Shaw, he's curator and director of Contemporary Art Gallery in Luton, the departure lounge. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. We share an osteopath. I have to declare an interest, we share an osteopath. We indeed have an osteopath in common. He does a, he does a blooming good job. Anyway, what, I, I kind of like contemporary art. I don't think I get it, but I find it funny. I'm extremely glad that you do find it funny. I think uh, there's been an awful lot of uh, far too much seriousness in it. It doesn't mean it can't address serious issues, but um, it it is allowed to be humorous and funny, and I actually think some of Andrew's work that you've just spoken about is quite funny. Yeah. I like things where... I, 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 some of the thing I find quite funny is the people that stand there scratching their, their chins and going, well, this obviously is talking about the inner turmoil of the 1800s. And I just think... It lo- I think, fair play, they've done that. Good, good for them. 
Have you ever been to Germany and looked at contemporary art? It's even more serious. Uh, they really? take it very, very, very seriously. Nobody's allowed to be funny there wow. at all. I did an amazing show at uh, my other job, which is at the University of Hertfordshire, a couple of years ago with a German collective called the uh, the German Artisans. It was called the World's Most Boring Art Exhibition. Is that what it was called? The show was called that, and it was actually really... <laughs> no, it wasn't actually boring itself. It was about the verdant landscape of possibility that opens up to of you. Course. If you're bored, you of can course. sort of make... Uh, They'd, and so they'd made miniskirts out of toothbrushes and um, done all sorts of weird things with paper clips. Uh, they they were universally reviled for yep. being um, too humorous. And uh, you know there certainly is a place for humour in contemporary yep. art, without any doubt. There's big bucks in this as well, isn't there? Um, well, the four artists we're showing at the moment at Departure Lounge are certainly not in the big bucks arena. But yes, there is. Um, I mean, vast sums of money are exchanged recently at Freeze, for example. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I am very much more in the sort of public sector arena, so um, we, uh, we scrape together small amounts of money and try to do wonderful things with them. Now, the Departure Lounge is in Luton. I was so surprised. I walked past this ages and ages ago. I was so Why a uh, contemporary art gallery in Luton? Well, there's no, there isn't anything here. Mm. Um, it's a fantastic location. Um, it's just in the shopping centre, isn't it? It's, 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 on a, it's, a, it's, it's on George Street. It's above Betfred. Mm. Um, but Luton is incredibly accessible from all over the world. And one thing that is uh, remarkable about contemporary art audiences is they really will travel to see things. So if they can't see anything, if there's something they want to see they can't see anywhere else, they will come to Luton. We had somebody, for example, come to a show in Hightown that we did a couple of months ago. She came from Moscow. She didn't come specifically wow. to the UK, but she was in the UK and saw something she wasn't going to see anywhere else, so she came from Moscow. We also had um, the uh, cultural attaché of the German embassy come to Hightown to open a show when we had a gallery there. That was in um, early 2011. Mm. Very quickly, because we're running out of time. There, there, are, there is some stuff in, in contemporary art that, that is rubbish isn't it? Well, you just think, come on, now you, now you are being silly. I mean, I think there's a great deal of fertility in silliness, and we're talking about Ooh, the current... That, that's a good... Fertility in Fertil silliness, I like that. That's going to be my second album, I think. Um, I mean, the current Turner Prize, Spartacus Chetwin, you might think, well, actually, it looks like a lo load of rubbish, um, but actually, she's having an enormous amount of fun with it. And, yeah. and I, I, I mean, I think, quite honestly, yes, there is contemporary art out there where you say the art conceptually is not very clever i still wouldn't question the fact that it was art i would question that i would say it's not very good art but it's still art very quickly have you got a website if people want to come and have a look at the gallery online and check it out www.departure-lounge.org.uk fantastic i think it's very exciting there's something like that in luton thank you very much uh, for coming in the turner prize winner will be announced on monday the 3rd of december live on channel 4 and the winner gets a fantastic 25 thousand pounds thank you matthew shaw we can go now at 747 ish oh we're late and get the latest weather with elizabeth rosini Good morning again, Ian. Yes, naughty, naughty. 7.47-ish. Temperatures on the cool side still struggling to get out of double figures for the rest of the week, Ian. Thank you. Elizabeth, how, how do you make it sound so jolly? It sounds miserable. Oh, I'm always jolly. It's weather. It's really interesting. <laughs> Elizabeth, you're brilliant. Thank you very much. There we go. Now, as we've been saying all morning, nearly half of us don't trust estate agents to provide truthful, 
and honest advice. That's according to a survey conducted by the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. They're calling for it to become compulsory for all estate agents to join a professional regulation scheme. On the line now is Trevor Kent of Trevor Kent Estate Agents Buckinghamshire. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning. Why do you think people don't trust estate agents? Well, I don't agree with the RICS. I'm afraid um, one has to think that they might be trying to puff their own members a little and try and get a bit of business for them. So do you think that people do trust estate agents? I believe that uh, people trust estate agents more now than they ever have. Poppycock, sir. Well, Poppycock. I I bought and sold a house two years ago. I'm buying and selling a house now, and I've had nothing but but guff coming out of both sides' mouths. Have you? Yes. Uh, What sort of guff? Uh, Lying about dates that we'd be able to move, lying about what our properties were worth. How do you know it's a lie? How how do you know that? How it might well be them repeating information they've been given, repeating it... Well, if they've been given information that's false, they should be investigating it. It's not false. Information like that, when you're going to exchange contracts, when you're going to complete... Okay, let's talk about that. Let's focus on... Now, listen to me. You don't actually know the date. You are told by various people, such as lawyers, such as other buyers, um, about hoped-for dates, but that's not a guarantee, and and the agent can only pass on what they've been told. It's it's unfair of you to say that's a lie. Okay, it's not a lie. It's a bending of the truth. It's unfair. It raises false hope, which causes massive, massive problems, and they shouldn't be giving indications if there is no chance of those indications being fulfilled. Well, there are chances at the time they're told that. I think you're going off on a tangent here. No, I'm not going off on a tangent. You brought it up. You're talking about your own particular experience. Yes. uh, But you asked me whether I thought the public in general... You've brought up my own particular experience. you. are not particularly interested just in your opinion. Well, Trevor, I'm not particularly interested in your experience, but we're talking to you, so let's try and keep this decent, shall we, sir? (laughs) You started it. No, you asked me for why I thought they lied. I've told you, and then you've kind of rebuffed that and said, actually, I'm not interested in that. I've told you that I don't believe lie is the right word. Okay, they lied about how much our property was worth. Most... They didn't lie about it. They did. It. They lied by £100,000. That That's a op- big lie. That was their opinion at the time. Oh, Trevor, listen, we all know, we all know that estate agents fudge things in their favour. Of course they do. Maybe you gave an indication that that's the sort of figure you'd like. No, not at and all. if you didn't get that figure, you wouldn't give them the job. Not in the slightest, Trevor, no. They're, and they're, that's another estate agent trick, isn't it? Is putting it on the customer. Well, of course. Putting the, the responsibility the on the customer. Do you think the estate agent is going to uh, to insist on marketing a house at their price rather than what their prospective I would buyer expect, wants? I would, I would imagine, Trevor, that most people would expect an honest answer from an estate agent, not an overinflated price of what their, their property is worth. And I believe genuinely that most estate agents provide honesty in every respect. Oh, Trevor, you're, you... Listen, I'm sure you do, sir. This is not a slur on you in the slightest, and I'm you're fantastic. Good for you. But come on, there is a perception amongst people, Among you speak to anyone in a pub, estate agents, good or bad, most of them will say bad. I think uh, we're, we're cheaper now than we've ever been. I think more people appreciate that we're working harder to try and sell their houses in a difficult market than we've ever had to work before. I find that people are far less um, perjurative when I say I'm an estate agent at a dinner party. Well, or they say that party you're, you're, it's those kind of parties you go to. You, you, you need to speak to real people in the real world, Trevor. Well, I deal with them every day. L- well, listen, okay, again, I only have my examples, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to bore you with them. You we- do do that. I will do that, sir. Uh, what, is, what is it with grumpy men on this show? I don't know what's going on. Have you had more today? Not today, it was the other day. We had a colonel who did- I didn't get on with. Well, may- maybe you gave him the same difficulties you're giving me? No, he started it, as, as you did here. <laughs> oh, of course. Come on, but Trevor, 
Trevor. the interviewees fault. Trevor, this is good fun, though, isn't it? Go on, Come on, good lad, well done. Uh, so, we tried to sell our, our, our property, and the guy said, don't worry, you, all these stories about the market being, being down, it's not true, it's not true. The market is very buoyant. We didn't have anyone come for a month. He said, ah, it's the Olympics, no one will come during, once the Olympics are finished, it'll pick up. No one came for two weeks. It, now, Trevor, that's not helpful, is it? It isn't helpful. I quite agree. Thank you. Yes, he'd be much better off to, say, to have looked he would, in the eyes and said, look, I'm afraid you're asking too much. No, he, he told us to what price property. to ask, Trevor! He gave us the price, for <laughs> goodness sakes! I didn't say, listen, I want to sell this house for two million pounds. I said, what do you think we can reasonably get? He told us we went for it! Didn't put anything on the top of it? No, not at all! Come down. Trevor, <laughs> for goodness sakes! Do you think compulsory regulation would help? Yes, I, I think there's little doubt that all the state agents should have a central control. Yes. We, we already have it to a certain extent because the government very sensibly uh, uh, legislated that every practicing estate agent must be members of the property ombudsman scheme. Yeah. Now, that is an organization that has a code of conduct and, importantly, has the power to fine agents that they do find are, um, are, are a little bit naughty, and that money will go to the, uh, the wronged party. Mm. Uh, interestingly, the RICS, uh, who really are suggesting that they should be in charge of controlling every estate agent in the country, they have a scheme, as do the National Association of Estate Agents, but where do you think their fines go if their members are naughty? They keep them. Do they? They go in the funds. They have they, a nice jolly at the end of the year. They, that's right. They don't go to the uh, to the the, cha- the person who has um, been wronged. But so you, you you will admit that some estate agents are, in your words, a little bit naughty. Yes, of course. Okay. It, it happens. Of yes. course, it happens. But my claim is that in this particular case, the RICS asked questions that they knew would get uh, the type of answer that we've had a little rant about. Yeah. Uh, hoping that they can then persuade the public only to use their members. And I think there are lots of uh, respectable, responsible, honest estate agents out there who are not members of the RICS who will be a little bit upset by that claim. Trevor, you've been a good sport this morning. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Trevor Kent. Let's get him back on again, shall we? Let's get... He was fun. Trevor Kent's estate agents in Buckinghamshire. I like that. That's a, now, see, listen, that's how you do it. A nice little verbal sparring, then you shake hands and walk away at the end of it. That's how it should be done. To anybody listening. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. 08459 455 555. Well, what do you think? Yes, I can only go by my experience, of course. I've had pretty rotten luck with estate agents. I'm having pretty rotten luck right now. What do you think? Am I being too harsh on estate agents? If I am, do give me a call. This isn't one of those shows where we don't like people coming on who disagree with me. We, li- we like a little bit of, um, as you just said there, a little bit of sparring. So if you think I'm giving estate agents a tough time, 08459 455 555. But I genuinely think that most people will have had frustrating experiences. Let's put it like that. Frustrating experiences with estate agents, won't they? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call and let me know about that. Very exciting news. You know Justin Dealey? He's on this show and he goes and he does ridiculous things. I don't know why. He has his own show, it turns out. Saturdays from 9am. This weekend, there's uh, more great songs, great memories on BBC Three Counties Radio. Justin has the pick of the UK and American charts from the 3rd of November 1984. And the Human League. Phil Oakey and the two girls, I don't know their names. Did anyone ever know the names of the girls? I don't think so. They picked their favourite musical memories ahead of their concert in Hatfield. 
Justin Dealey from nine this Saturday morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. I've listened. It's a cracking listen. I thoroughly recommend it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Can we determine by nine o'clock in this completely unscientific poll, estate agents good or bad? <laughs> BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm having fun this morning. I'm enjoying it this morning. It's a bit feisty. But feisty in the friendly way, which is good. We like that. Coming up in the last hour of the show, there are concerns over services being downgraded at BBC... Uh, sorry, at Three Counties Hospitals. The estate of television presenter Jimmy Savile has been frozen in response to the sex abuse claims made against him. We'll find out why. And nearly half of us don't trust estate agents. What's been your experience? Good or bad? Maybe they just lied to you. I'm not particularly keen on them at the moment. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. Keen to hear both sides of the story. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, as you've heard all morning, concerns are being raised about plans which could mean patients have to travel further for A&E and maternity services in the three counties. Health services are under review at the Luton and Dunstable, Milton Keynes and Bedford, along with two in Northamptonshire. At the moment, we don't know which two hospitals will see some services downgraded. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is outside Luton and Dunstable Hospital this morning, speaking to people in A&E. That's on. You were here at the A&E department on Monday. You've been in ever since. Yeah. You've had... Five heart attacks since 2005, which is incredible. How have you found the service here at the A&E? Absolutely excellent. Mm. Without a doubt, first class. So how would you feel if that was downgraded? Well, it wouldn't be good at all, I don't think. It's running absolutely fine the way it is. It doesn't need to be touched. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. What a lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying the service is absolutely fantastic. And our listeners, I'm sure, would have picked up on your accent. You're originally from Gateshead. Yeah. You now live in Luton. Yeah. Um, how come you ended up in Luton? Oh, I started off in Watford in 1990. I moved down for work. And since then, I've been all over the country. But I ended up in Luton 10 years ago. I was driving for the company here, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. So you've been in since Monday. When do you hope that you're going to be going home? Uh, well, I haven't a clue when it comes to that. I'll be in here at least to over the weekend because I'm not going to have me, some of my tests done for another 48 hours or so until the bleeding stops. But at least you're still smiling, anyway. Oh, yeah, I've got to win that. what's your thoughts on any type of downgrade here of the A&E at the Luton and Dunstable? Oh, I don't think we should downgrade anything in this area. It's a very busy area, very high population, right near the motorways and everything. We need all the facilities we have. A lot of people have said to me already this morning, I pay my taxes, I deserve a decent local A&E. I'm sure that you go along with that. Yes, I certainly do, yes. I think there's a lot of money wasted in other areas, and I think we need to concentrate on the really important things, really frontline uh, things that are absolutely necessary. Well, earlier we heard from Ed Neal. He's the clinical lead of this programme called Healthier Together, who explained what changes patients will notice. We have every intention of creating a clinically viable hospital on all five sites. The only things that will change is that some of those hospital outpatient appointments will take place in the community, closer to their home, so there'll be less disruption for patients. And they may have to go to another hospital for their inpatient treatment because they will get a better 
outcome because we've concentrated patients in centres of excellence. There will be a consultation before any decisions are made. Roy Lilly is a former NHS Trust chairman. He joins me now. Good morning, Roy. Good morning. What do you think of the changes being suggested? Networked A&E units at two hospitals which would share staff and maternity units for low-risk births? Well, you know, you could take this story and you could put it almost anywhere in England. Right. The NHS is, is doing this everywhere and it's doing it for two reasons. One, there, there is a very good clinical reason why they should, as, they, as managers call it, coalesce excellence. That means put all your best stuff in one place so you get the best treatment you can get. Because, you know, it, the days when you can have an all-singing, all-dancing hospital on the corner of everybody's street, are just over. And the second reason is, and it's, you know, it's no secret, the, the, you know, the banks have pinched all the money, the public sector is under huge pressure, and the NHS has to save £20 billion to find £20 billion worth of efficiency savings by 2015. So it's, you know, it's between a rock and a hard place. So, but, you know, because you change the configuration of services, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be any worse. And in many cases, it means they'll be a lot better. People have to travel further, though, won't they? And, and they won't be happy about that. No, they won't. And as I say, you know, I, I would like to see a fantastic hospital on the end of my street corner. And, uh, but you just can't do it anymore. If you look at what, the, what managers call the distribution of resource, the distribution of hospitals, where hospitals are actually located, they're always located, really, as a result of historic accident or charitable giving or political lobbying or whatever. You know, no one sort of sits down and, and plans where to put a hospital, a bit like you know, Tesco's might plan where to put an out-of-town supermarket. And so there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of duplication and particularly in, in instances like maternity where there's huge amount of evidence that places that do under three to 5,000 births a year are probably not as safe as the ones that do more and so, you know, there's a lot of very, very good reasons why... But when you're having a baby, Roy, these things can happen quite quickly. You, you can't be travelling 15, 20 miles to go and deliver your baby. Well, we do. I know we do get the stories. There was, there was one the other day, wasn't there, about a woman who gave birth in a, in a supermarket. Well, exactly. So they, we need to, they need to be, we, the maternity units need to be protected, don't they? Yeah, and, and well, yes and no. I mean, you know, you're, I, th- I think, to be honest, even if even if there was a hospital next door to the to the supermarket where this poor woman gave birth, it wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, if she, you know, she's going to do it, she's going to do it. But I think, in ter- you know, where these things can be planned and where they're not emergencies, I think, you know, to be honest, putting, um, you know, our real resource in one place does make a huge amount of sense. And it's the same with A&E. I mean, years ago, if you had a heart attack, then, you know, some uh, ambulance driver would turn up and try and be Sterling Moss, you know, uh, and, and drive like the hell to get you to the nearest A&E where you'd be messed about with by an exhausted junior doctor who'd been working for seven nights on the trot and wasn't sure what to do. It's different today. You get a paramedic that turns up. You get uh, drugs to stop uh, any, any clots. You get uh, superb treatment, really, at the roadside. And then you get taken to what's called a trauma unit or you may even not even go to a trauma unit you might go direct into a heart unit which is even better so services have improved reconfiguration is taking place and it's not always bad Roy, uh, we heard earlier on from Milton Keynes Labour councillor Nigel Long have a listen to this I think the evidence from other parts of the country is that these reviews do not deliver any clinical improvements in services what they deliver is closure of A&E you can't seriously take £60 million out and not affect the services so I'm not sure we're getting the full picture here and that's why I want a big public debate on that. 
Roy, he's saying that services are going to be affected. Well, he's right. There Adversely. Will be, yeah, they will be affected. And look, in another life, I used to be a local authority councillor, and I know what it's like, and you have to have one eye on getting re-elected and one eye on what the public is saying. Um, but these, uh, these days, I think the reconfigurations are much more what we call clinically led. I mean, it's not just uh, managers in grey suits with, you know, with big maps plotting the future of the NHS in some basement room. It now it does involve clinicians and it does involve doctors and nurses and, and there's a huge amount of clinical involvement. He's right that the that the public should be involved and he's right that there should be transparency about what's going on and that's why um, the hospital uh, from your earlier report made it pretty clear that they're going out to consultation on this and everyone will be able to have their say. Roy Lilly, thank you very much. Former NHS Trust Chairman. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm going shooting with Jonathan Vernon-Smith. You may have heard of him, the radio presenter. No? Oh, he's on after me, nine o'clock. Yes, no, he's all right, he's worth a listen. We're going shooting at Luton Hoo today. Apparently it's very posh. (laughs) It's very posh. They're so not going to let me in. One look... Out. Out. Uh, And I'm a little bit concerned. I'm wearing shoes, and already I'm regretting that, and part of me is thinking, just go into town and buy some wellies. Go and get some galoshes. They don't call them galoshes anymore, do they? I used that word with my wife, and she went, what? It's a galoshes. She said, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, I've got some shoes. They're my smart shoes. They've got a hole, I've discovered this morning, in the, um, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The sole, that's it, isn't it? Hole in the sole. It's letting in water, to quote Neil from The Young Ones. Uh, and can I just, the question is, can I just go into a cobbler's, take my shoes off, plonk them on his desk, and go, my good man... Fix these, and then just stand there and wait. How long does it take? Do they let you do that? Well, Flo's in Hemel. Good morning, Flo. Good morning. You, do you go to cobblers? Yes, I do. No, because hardly anyone uses them anymore. Well, I don't. I don't like these um, shoe mate, shoe menders in the in, in you know in the centres. Right, the ones but that do keys as well. Very, he does a very good job. This man, he's been there years. This, where <laughs> is this? This is in Hemel, is it? Yeah, it's in Long Lane. Okay, and he, he, why why is he so good, Flo? Well, he always does a good job, and he does loads of things. He puts zips in, he does leather goods, he does oh. everything. He's been there years. And if I were to go in there and plonk my shoes on the, the, the desk and say, fix these now, my good man, would he be able to do it straight away? Well, I don't know. Oh. But, but, but you could give him a ring and ask him. He's very, he's very good. Give him a ring and ask him, because you don't want to go all the way over no. there and he can't do them. So what, what, what makes it that um, cobblers are also good at cutting keys. I don't see how those two skills correlate. Well, it's not very hard to cut a key now, is it? Is it not? Well, they do it up the top shop here for a couple of quid, 250 uh, so it can't be that, that um, hard to do, can it? I don't know. Have you ever, ever had a go? Yes. At cutting a key? No. I've had a go at using £2.50 instead of £5 down the town. And they work all right. Oh, well, you've, oh, you mean you've paid them to cut your keys? Yeah. I, I, so I apologise, I was got confused there for a second. I don't think you need a lot of, lot of uh, experience if a, 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 a corner shop can do it. Yeah, you know, a, they're, often a just like, shop. they're often just like young lads doing it, aren't they? Yeah, They've not been right. to key training, uh, key cutting right. college. I don't think there's a lot of experience in it. Mm. Flo, listen, thank you very much indeed. 08459 four double five five double five. Going to Hemel might be a little bit of a trek just to, um, t- to get my shoes done. What, what I'll do is after the show, uh, I'll, I'll pop into Luton, I'll have a little look, I'll go and speak to a cobbler um, but I might end up having to buy myself some wellies because it's going to be wet out there isn't it 
shooting with Jonathan Vernon Smith. Who'd, who'd have thought this day would ever come? BBC <laughs> Three Counties Radio. Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Vernon Smith, you are such a naughty man. <laughs> you are such a naughty man. You really are very, very naughty. I know. People don't realise just how <laughs> naughty. You're blushing at your own naughtiness. I know. That nice, was terrible, nice wasn't it? to very, very. Uh, that was uh, unprecedented. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> unprecedented. <laughs> very, very nice to see you. Thanks very much. You're looking nice, aren't you? Yes. I'm going to go out and buy some wellies for the shoot. Now, this is a bit unfair, because <laughs> I've forgotten my wellies, right. but I won't have time to go and buy wellies. No, you won't, no. So what am I going to do? You're going to get wet feet. Should I put plastic bags <laughs> around my feet? <laughs> do you remember when your mum used to do that? Put plastic bags around your feet? With some plastic bags. I'd rather be wet. Yeah, yeah. well, no, I would rather not. These are very expensive shoes. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, they are. Really? They're handmade. <laughs> Aren't all shoes handmade? <laughs> yes, but these are made by a very exclusive cobbler in Northamptonshire. Ooh. Do you think he'd be able to fix my shoes if I just... I am yes. tempted to go into a cobbler's, just take them off, put them on the thing, say, fix these, please, my good man. Does that, is that how it what, works? in that kind of way? Well yeah, well, yeah, the polite, respectful way. I don't think, uh, I don't think down Timpsons, they, uh, they necessarily appreciate that kind of customer <laughs> response. Come back in half an hour, mate. <laughs> yeah. um, we are going to go shooting today at Lucy. We are, I can't wait, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I'm more nervous about the poshness of it, because you keep saying it's very posh. It is, it's very posh. You and don't get any riffraff in uh, there. Well, <laughs> I'm worried that they will, they're riffraff, because you have to walk through like a, a metal riffraff detector, <laughs> and the alarm, I'm sorry sir, the alarm goes off, you'll have, I'm afraid you'll have to be asked to leave. Yeah, but you look nice, you look smart. You'll be fine, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I really think, I really genuinely think you are setting me up for a fall today. Or a shot in the leg. But more, I think you are setting me up to look like an idiot. No. Anyway, I'm going to record you that. I'm going to record it. I'm going to film you firing a gun as well and put it on YouTube. Are you? Yes. Mm, Great. (laughs) I'm so excited, honestly. I'm very, very excited. I'm very excited. Okay, so we're... What time will we be done by? Oh, I don't know. Okay, not too late. Well, well, apparently, I think I was reading on the website yesterday. We have seventy-one bullets. <laughs> seventy-one. We're going to be there for hours. <laughs> ja- Janet's on the line. Janet's called in. Good morning, Janet. Oh no, she's gone. Now she, she's gone. Oh she, uh, she, no. She heard. She wanted to say that we should be wearing wellies. She heard your cackle and she got scared. Oh no. So anyway, listen. We should move on. I'm trying to slow things down now because we have to. I've always. Yes, I've discovered you. that that we we have come in. We have some fun. You're quite you get me going. Yes. Get yes. You get you all pumped up. And then I come out with a serious phone in. And today is one of those days. Okay. So, so should, we, should I play? Should I play like a jingle to separate this conversation and you come in with the serious topic, or do you it's, think we've... it's your show? In whatever you'd rather. Let's give it a go. Okay. So he's raw when oh, they the wrong button, sorry. grab one another, whereas Smackdown is when they fling them over the back and no, all that. No, it's all the same. So I can't stop What's it. What's the difference it's then? Just, oh, it's different. <laughs> oh, that one stopped. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you, it turns out you could stop it. I thought, right, I, I, right, I will do it. Right. So here's, we're going to play a jingle, then you're going to come in with a serious, because it is serious. Mm. And um, so here we go. Right. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. On the big phone-in today, I'll be asking, should Jimmy Savile's victims receive compensation as more and more people come forward with sex? Ian, please turn back round. It's making it worse if you turn around. That's better. 
Uh, anyway, as more and more people come forward with sex abuse claims against Jimmy Savile, the NatWest Bank has frozen his assets. Uh, Savile's estate is thought to be worth about £4 million, and lawyers representing those who claim they were victims are preparing to sue for compensation. But how much money can repair the physical and emotional damage suffered by the victims of sexual assaults? And are these claims just another example of our compensation society? From nine this morning, I want to hear from you. Should Jimmy Savile's victims receive compensation? Sensation. Phone lines are open 08459 455 555. We'll discuss it from nine. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. That's the phone number. If you want to get in touch with Jonathan now, I suggest you send him an email. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Always worth a listen at nine o'clock. Now, a survey conducted by the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors has revealed that half of us don't trust estate agents. The Institute has now called for a compulsory professional regulation scheme to be put in place. Well, Tim Gerrard is from Gibbs Gillespie Estate Agents in Hertfordshire. He joins me now. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Ian. How would a compulsory regulation scheme affect the way that you work? Well, personally here at Gibbs does you very little because myself, James Gibbs, Paul Gillespie and most of the senior members of the company are professionally qualified and have already you know, done our exams and be and members of the National Association of Estate Agents. Um, and on the letting side, we're members of ALA as well. So are other exams that you can take? I wasn't aware of that. Absolutely, yes. Um, the professional body for estate agents um, on the residential side is the National Association of Estate Agents. To join the National Association, you have to sit and pass your a four-part professional competency exam. There's a similar arrangement through ARLA, which is the residential lettings um, professional body as well. So, yes, there is available. But, mm. having said that, the majority of estate agents aren't actually qualified. Yes, look, I, 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 no, I'm sure they're not, and I'm sure the ones that I've spoken to aren't. I, 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 it's interesting uh-huh. there, isn't it? What experiences do you have of, of people not trusting estate agents or being wary of estate agents? Well, to, to be honest with you, Ian, um, an estate agent is a, is a broker, he's a, he's a middleman, um, or middle person, so should I say, these days. Estate agents are paid, generally speaking, by the seller of a property to achieve the best possible price from the best possible buyer in the timescale that that vendor is working towards. A lot of people assume somewhere along the line that we have a duty of care to the person buying. And although we do, and there is a certain amount of uh, legislation in place to protect the, the consumer, your primary care as an estate agent is to look after the person who's actually paying your fees, either the person selling. Mm. Very often, um, if you, for example, in, a, in, in especially in the kind of areas we operate, in, 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 in this area, you may get a property coming onto the market that has more than one person interested in buying it. Often, people get upset if they've, they've made an offer, as other people have as well, and then they don't get the property, even if they paid the asking price, because the prices get bid over. Mm. Recently here, we've had a property here in Rickmansworth, which was on the market, but she had nine offers and wow. went for over the asking price. Now, we can only sell it to one person. So my colleague, when they were putting the deal together, carefully spoke to every party, assessed the ability of that buyer, who was in the best position, mm. who had, who could have the best, who was in the best position. Yes, the position is also is an important money. part, isn't it? Yes, as, as, as well as the money, yeah. Now, those offers go forward, the client makes a decision, obviously guided by the agent, and then that deal is agreed. That leaves eight people who were unsuccessful. Mm. 
If we've done it reasonably well, most of those will understand the situation that we were in as agents and can appreciate. But some of them could be a bit upset they didn't get it, even if they'd offered the asking price. Now, that strikes me as odd, isn't it? That does strike me as odd, because you you, you, Mm. you all know when you put an offer in, that your Mm. offer might not be accepted for whatever reason, and that's part of the thing. Are people genuinely getting upset about that? People do. People do. um, Because they want to move. The other problem, and to be honest with you, where it comes to the trust issues, is down to, well, to be honest, since I spoke to your researcher yesterday mm. and today, I've thought a lot of it overnight. Yeah. One of the real issues is been affected, not just a state agency, but a lot of businesses has been a mood of cost-cutting. These days, everyone does a price comparison exercise on the internet. You look for the cheapest deal. And this had, has led to a cheapening of agency services. Yeah. Traditionally, in this country, a state agency charged 2% was always the way for many years. Having said that, in Europe and America, agency fees are much higher. Yeah. They do charge a lot more. But recently, fees have become under pressure. You're now seeing agents, top agents, good quality agents with, with good staff training, with, with all the kind of infrastructure in place, having to bring their fee levels down. It's, it's not unusual now to be about one and a half rather You're not suggesting that, we, that they put their fees up, are you, Tim? Well, absolutely, because what, what is happening now, what is happening now, as the fees have come down, business turnover has been reduced, and therefore companies that don't have the money for staff training, no. they are employing, they are, they're not employing the experienced staff, they don't have the money to go out there and train the staff. I was, I was totally with you until you suggested that we, with the, that we put up estate agents' fees. <laughs> That's ridiculous! Not at all, not at all. You get what you pay for in life. And the simple fact is, the better companies well. that have the infrastructure do, do actually have, you know, do justify a higher, slightly higher Tim, we, ha- we have to end it there. I, 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 just because we're running out of time, I could speak for ages. I was with you 100% until the, uh, the claim we put up estate agents' fees. No, I, I don't think anybody would agree with that. But we have to move on. Tim Gerrard, thank you very much, of Gibbs Gillespie Estate Agents in Hertfordshire. Uh, we're talking about hospital closures, and not hospital closures, but potentially um, some of the services being reduced slightly and, and shared. Uh, across the three counties. Richard is in Hemel. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. What, what's, um, what's your take on this? Well, well I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. One, um, how, how do patients and, and visitors get to these hospitals? Um, and, you know, both la- the last socialist government and this current conservative don't want us to drive cars. The price of petrol is going up and up. Car parking in hospitals is absolutely astronomically um, insane. Um, so how do we get to, to the places? If you've got somebody in hospital and you've got to travel miles to them, they don't get visitors. The other thing is that we've got, um, what is it, five million unemployed, many of them which are nurses and doctors, who need work in our in our situations. All right, so we've got to say £20 billion, but the fact is that many of the hospital services are being taken up by illegal immigrants and economic migrants that um, shouldn't be well, here anyway. I don't think any, well, hang on a second there. The, the, the hospital jobs are being taken by illegal immigrants. No, no, I said many of the, many of the, the services are being taken up by these people. Illegal I, immigrants? You know, well, which which they services? Come in, they come in, sorry? Which, which services are being taken up by illegal immigrants? 
operations, seeing doctors, having... Oh, you mean they're, they're using, they're using the, the yeah, facilities? Yeah, the, ser- the services is what okay. I'm talking about. Right. Um, the fact is that we're being pushed and pushed and pushed all the time. And we are the ones that are being suffered, yet the government is giving away billions of pounds in foreign aid to been despotic countries and nuclear-armed countries, billions of pounds in, in to the, the EU, etc. But the fact is that we are being made to suffer. We- Richard, thank you very much. We're going to move on there. Uh, Richard in Hemel. Um, uh, David has emailed him. Why employ an estate agent? Make your own for sale sign and your own adverts. That's what you do when you sell your car. You're only obliged to use a solicitor. Oh, that's not a bad idea. In fact, no, actually, the, when I sold my flat a couple of years ago, we didn't use an estate agent. We, we didn't because the, we knew that the people downstairs wanted to buy it. So we just went straight to them and said, hey, we're selling. This is what we want. And we, we got it. Um, Lucy in Luton says, Ian, we are currently purchasing a house in the Republic of Ireland. If you think estate agents over here are bad, oh boy. Times that by ten and you have an idea of what the typical Irish estate agent is like. Plus, the solicitors are the same. Slow and money-grabbing. Wow. That guy wanted estate agents to get a bigger fee. Shocking. Across Beds, Hearts and Lee on BBC Hearts and Bucks. This is me on BBC Three Counties Radio. My fat fingers hit three buttons at the same time. I know three buttons at the same time. Don't worry, Jonathan will be in at nine o'clock and uh, professionalism will resume, I promise. Coming up in the last half an hour of this show, the estate of television presenter J.B. Savile has been frozen in response to the sex abuse claims made against him. We find out why. And putting your baby in fancy dress objectifies young who have no say in how they look. That's according to children's charity Kidscape. Well, reporter Justin Dealey has been in Luton this morning to find out if you agree, and we'll hear that a little bit later on. Now, let's get more on the news of Jimmy Savile's multi-million pound estate being frozen following the sex abuse allegations against him. Lawyers representing people who say they were attacked by Savile are planning to sue for damages. Our reporter, Gavin Lee, has been looking at this story. Good morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. This information's been confirmed by Nat West. What else yeah. is known? Yeah, well, Nat West is the executor of Jimmy Savile's will, so he's got the job of administering his estate, and we believe it to be in excess of £4 million. We had a short statement sent from Nat West last night which says that the claims have been raised over recent weeks, and because of that, the distribution of the estate has been put on hold. And there's a sequence here because the law firm Pannoni, which is acting on behalf of some of the victims, has said it, it is you know, suing the, the estate. It's got a number of clients coming to it um, pretty much on a every-other-day basis. Every couple of days there's another client in line, really, with the Scotland Yard investigation. You know, 300 cases of harassment or alleged sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile over four decades, still getting more calls even today. Uh, we're, we're told there's more calls about it this morning. So it's you know, an ongoing, very busy investigation and the, the firm, the law firm, are saying Jimmy Savile was a very wealthy man and there are assets they believe to claim against. Can I say, Gavin, I was surprised it was only £4 million. Mm. I would have thought he would have had more than that. I mean, there's no way of knowing, but I would have thought it would have been more than that. Yeah, I think you know, there is a sort of curious human um, instinct in, in, in actually this information being revealed in the first instance. Mm. My understanding is that in 2006 a will was written by Jimmy Savile. This is the, acting on this will. Um, 600,000 was 
bequeathed to friends, family and other acquaintances. And the rest, 3.7 million, was bequeathed to Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust. So there is other properties which takes it to above 4 million. But of course we had a conversation two weeks ago about the Charitable Trust saying, you know, soul-searching, how can you keep that name and the mm. you know, fear of becoming synonymous with sexual abuse, so it's winding it down. Other charity groups have asked for, for that money, or at least a slice mm. of that money. Of course, that won't happen now. The money's frozen. It's going to be frozen for a while because the police investigation will have to take place first. There'll be a, you know, a multiplicity of other investigations going on at the BBC hospitals where he worked, as you know, Stoke Mandeville included, and you know, the lawyers will have to, to take a, a side seat until that's completed. You mentioned that £600,000 to the family, Gavin. I don't know if you know this or not. Has that been already distributed? Have people got that? It's an interesting question. I believe it's in the process of being distributed. Some of the money has been shared, not all of it so far. I think there's something like to break it down. About 20 friends of Jimmy Savile, family, neighbours, and he gave something like £1,000 to, to 10 other people each, and, and that's still in the process of being shared out. And, and some of that, I, I know one of the families have said that they haven't yet got the £1,000 that have been bequeathed, as and when they get it, they will give it to charity. Gavin Lee, thank you very much indeed. <coughs> Excuse me, on the big phone-in at nine uh, with uh, Jonathan and Vernon Smith. He wants to know, should Jimmy Savile's victims receive compensation? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, I am going shooting with Jonathan Vernon-Smith uh, later on, and uh, we've had an email from Jeanette in Bedford, who says, Ian, you have to be appropriately dressed to go shooting with JVS. When I was in the West Country at the weekend, staying in a very posh hotel, there were a group of men staying there who were also going shooting. We're shooting clay pigeons, by the way, before anybody gets, you know, excited. It's clay pigeons. They had their posh Land Rovers, oh, I'm going in my polo, dressed with long socks to the knee, Trousers to the knee and very smart shoes and also wearing wax jackets with large cigars in their hands. Do I imagine that you and JVS will be like this? Um, yeah, probably not. Probably not. Uh, one of the problems with this the shooting thing today is I've got a hole in my shoe. Yes. Like the song. And I, I've never been to a cobbler before, except to get keys cut. And I don't know why those cobbling and, and key cutting, they're, why they're similar skills. And I want to know, can you just go into a cobbler's, plonk your shoes on the desk and say, all right, my good man, can you fix these for me now? Well, Jamie Beach is from Jamie's Shoe Repairs in Hitchin. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Ian. <laughs> How are you this morning? You all right? I'm pretty well, thank you. Uh, now, my good man, could I, if I plop my shoes on the, the table and take them off, plop them on the table and say, can you fix these now, what response will I get from you? Yes, sir. Straight away. Oh, Jamie Beach! <laughs> Fantastic! So, do, do people ever do that? Come in, just say, hang on a second, mate, bend over, unlace their shoes and, and, and get them up there? <laughs> yeah, all the time, Ian, yes. Oh, really? Yes, oh, yes. okay. On a daily basis. I was, I was, I was worried that I was... <laughs> I never <laughs> I've never been to a cobbler. Most, I'm You've never been to a cobbler? Well, I've never used a cobbler, no. What do you do with your old shoes? You I throw them away, them away and go and buy a new oh, pair. Ian, in, oh, <laughs> fill it up there, Phil. <laughs> it's not good in Hertfordshire. I, I wear my shoes for a week and then I throw them away. <laughs> for goodness sake. Do you get a, lot of, you get, get a lot of customers? I do, yeah. Get a fair amount, yeah. We're very busy. How, how many shoes, pairs of shoes do you repair a, a day? I've got 60 litre box in front of me and it's full up overflowing and that needs doing by the before I go home. You've got 60 litres worth of shoes. <laughs> 60 litre box, okay. fill up, yeah. Uh, two, two, two big questions. Do you cut keys? I do cut keys. What's, why? What, why, <laughs> why as a man who repairs shoes are you qualified to cut my front door key? It's the people out there that just buy shoes, throw them away, don't come to <laughs> us spending money, we have to diversify into other areas, 
to bring in the money, Ian. But why? I don't. I, I don't <laughs> understand why there's such. A, why those two skills are they similar skills? Um, we're handy, you see, we can take handy. our hands to anything. You know, we, we, you know, we're sort of many workers and we can just take our hands to these things. And, and in, in your front window, do you yeah. have that tiny little model of an old man who fixes shoes and it's like a little robot and it does it, it's, you know, the, the, where he's hammering away? Do you no, have that? No, they, they retail for £800 and my wife won't let me have one. They, I really, really want one, but she says no. They go for 800 quid. They, they're selling for new £800. You wouldn't believe it, would the, you? Well, the, uh, the little, mo- the model I'm talking about, yeah. it's like about d- d- maybe 10 inches tall and it's an old <laughs> man and he's hammering away. Yeah. Eight hundred pounds. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Flipping so bring your shoes in, Ian. I mean, you could put some money towards that. Wow. Okay. Maybe I'll get one. Is it true that you you do you do the local police force shoes? I do. Yes. Oh, that's a nice little contract to have, isn't it? It's, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, when they pay. <laughs> oh, oh, oh well, hang on a second. Hang on, hang <laughs> on, everybody. No, we have an exclusive here. This is BBC Three Counties first for news exclusive. Jamie Beach, are you saying that the police officers in Hitchin are slow payers when it comes to fixing their shoes? Oh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imply that. No. He no, bottled no, out. He no. bottled out of the last. Minutes, uh, Jamie. Listen, that, so you, just to, just to clarify, I could go into any decent cobbler's, unlace my shoes, plonk them on the desk, ask the good man to fix them, and if he's worth his salt, he'll do it. Yeah, mainly the you're in, if you find a good independent local to you. You know, you might have to find him down the back streets. I'm pretty central, but he will do it for you. Jamie, thank you very much. Jamie Beaches from Jamie's Shoe Repairs in Hitchin. There you go, you see. Everyone's laughing at me saying, oh, you can't do that, Ian. Oh, you can't just go in and do that. Turns out you can. It turns out you can. Should we have a little look at, look at uh, some of the papers? I say some of the papers. It's the posh ones. I haven't got the naughty ones. Someone's left the naughty ones upstairs. Let's be honest. We all, we, none of us re- read the naughty ones, but we prefer the naughty ones, don't we? Really? We, we are, oh, yes, no, I read the Times. I'm the Telegraph, the Indie. But really, if we're on a bus or a train or the back of a cab and someone's left the mirror in there, we have a little look in there, don't we? we of course we do. We like to have a little. We like to have a little glance in there and see, and see what's going on because we, you know. Anyway, let's have a look at the front pages. The Daily Telegraph: Death Pathway Trusts paid millions. Concern grows over controversial program as full extent of payments made to hospitals that hit their targets is uncovered. And also, the coalition defeated on EU budget vote. Um, the Times: Cameron humiliated on eve of EU budget. Uh, and red tape holds up ash tree, tree cure. And they've also got uh, a little strap about the, uh, the, the Disney is going to remake the Star Well, not remake. They're going to make three new Star Wars films. Really? Is that what the world needs? More Star Wars? No, uh, not a fan of Star Wars. Don't, don't really dig it at all. The Guardian. Tory rebels deal EU blow to Cameron. PM hit by big budget deficit and warning of rebellion by senior MPs over Europe. David Cameron will face a battle to secure parliamentary backing for any EU budget deal that falls short of a real terms cut after he suffered his first major Commons defeat on EU spending uh, last night. And also, uh, there's a picture. There's a picture of Barack Obama uh, hugging someone um, who is distraught after the, uh, the, the, the damage of Hurricane Sandy. And you've, you've got to think, with, without, you know, I, I'm sure he's doing this with the best will in the world, it, it will look good for his uh, election campaign, won't it? Won't it? Or is that me being a little bit too cynical? Uh, the Independent, genetic profiteering, scandal of firm hiding vital breast cancer data. Um, uh, oh, look, and this picture of Prince Andrew. Doesn't he look, does he put, put on a bit of weight? getting a little bit chunky and the daily mail um tory euro rebels humiliate cameron 
08459 455 555. We've been speaking about estate agents this morning. There are calls for them to kind of join an agency and, and all sign a contract saying they won't tell porky pies. We've had a couple of estate agents on. Fantastic sparring earlier on. If you missed it, I, I thoroughly recommend uh, that you that you listen to my conversation with uh, Trevor Kent, who's an estate agent. Well, what fun that was, Trevor. And we'll, we'll get you back on again because I enjoyed that a lot. Then we had another estate agent who suggests that estate agents' fees of 2% or 1.5%, it's not enough. They should charge more. Pete's from Leighton Buzzer. Pete, what's your experience with estate agents, please? Well, I sold two properties in the last three years at Best Habitat, and the lies I was told by the estate agent you would not believe. The first thing they tell you, it says cash sale goes through in four to five weeks. Yeah. After four or five weeks, you get on to, oh, yeah, it's all going okay, it's all going okay. After seven weeks, I found it on a chain, one person, and it was going through. Yep. But ended up, I found out, there was three people on the chain, and right. they couldn't get the money. That was the first sale I had. The second sale, which took six months to go through, and it was with three estate agents, I, I, in the finish, I kept it going with two of them, so you fight it between yourselves. And when I sold to through one, the other one wanted money because he said we're, we're in, they're in just, just customer, and they wanted their fee, and they hadn't in, you know, introduced the customer at all. And what, what did and you say to them, the what did you sa- Pete? What did you say to them when they they uh, asked for some money? I told him to get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, thank you very much indeed. Pete from Leighton Buzzard. Uh, I, I think more people... We've had estate agents on. Of course, they defended the industry. We've, m- more people will have had bad experiences with estate agents than good ones, won't they? They bend the truth. They tell you what the, you want to hear because they know that once you're committed to a property, the chances of you letting go of that are very slim. 15 minutes of the show. Experiences with uh, estate agents, good or bad, 08459 455 555. I am keen to hear when an estate agent lied to you, what lies they told. I'm also keen to get the other side. I don't want to be too harsh on them. If you've got a good estate agent story, give us a call now. We've got 15 minutes. You'll you'll jump to the front of the queue. There's a couple of lines free. 08459 455 555. Beds, hearts and bugs, weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, it's always a pleasure to do your forecast. Well, at the moment... No, hang on, Elizabeth. You sounded sarcastic then. No, it is. I'm not being sarcastic at all. It is always a pleasure. I should put my non-sarcastic voice on. And it's always a pleasure to have you doing the... I sound sarcastic. Oh, shut up. You get on with it. (laughs) Just lots of love around this morning. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Yeah. Always worth a listen. Listen, it's excellent radio. Now, we were, uh, how do you feel when you see a young baby in a fancy dress costume? Is it cute or are the parents objectifying them? Well, Claude Knights, the director of Kidsca- Kidscape, says we should think about the messages we are sending out about her, uh, our attitudes to children. I spoke to her earlier. All I'm saying is, you know, we, we, had, we had situations where, you know, three, four-month-olds were being dressed up as devils and so on. I just think, you know, we just have to ask ourselves, basically, it's, you know, freedom of choice. Right. We have but to ask ourselves, you know, what's all this about? What are, why are we doing it? Yeah. You know, this, this little tiny tot doesn't understand. It's all about, you know, things... I but mean, it's fun, it's fun. Okay, when my first boy was, um, he was born in January, February, March, April, when he was three months old, we dressed him up, uh, as a chick for Easter. Mm. That's just fun, though, isn't it? Yes. No, I don't want to spoil fun. There's so little fun left in life. There but is. That, all, all I'm saying is, you know, look at, look at where we draw lines. Look at, look, you know, what are, what, why are we doing it? You know, are we sort of perpetuating, you know, this kind of in, uh, an industry... 
I, I like Claude. I thought she was gr- she was great. I didn't agree with her point necessarily, but I thought she was great. One of the things about having kids is you can dress them up in ridiculous costumes and take photos of them. And then when they're 15, 16, they bring back their first boyfriend or the first girlfriend. You go, yeah, nice to meet you. Did you ever see him when he looked like this? When he was dressed up as a bear? It's great fun to do. And, of course, as kids get older, two, three, they love dressing up. One of my favourite things is you walk down the street and you just see a little boy walking with his mum dressed as Spider-Man. How cool is that? And it's because he said, Mum, can I dress up as Spider-Man today? Mum, can I be Buzz Lightyear today? Yeah, OK. I wish adults could do that. I wish you could just say, do you know what, I feel like, I feel like dressing up as Batman today. I'm going to go to Sainsbury's, I'm going to wear my Batman outfit. Justin, have you got a Batman outfit? <laughs> uh, no, not a Batman outfit, but uh, forget about children, Ian, I can tell you, yes. I look great as a devil. I really, really do. I might try it tomorrow. You up for that? That's throwing you, isn't it? Yes. You've got a really terrifying, yet strangely erotic image into yes. my head. It's a lovely image, but yes. uh, I-, I saw loads of these photographs on Facebook myself last yep. night. Very young children in these outfits. I'm just outside the Chapel Street Nursery in Luton. I've been talking to Kalisha. Now, her son is called Tiano. He's seven months old. Apparently, he's a right cheeky monkey. Yeah. Now, she didn't dress him up as a devil or a pumpkin last night, and here's the reason why. He's seven months. He doesn't understand that it's Halloween. You know, actually, he did have on devil he- a devil headband, yeah. but that was for my brother, just to get him to kind of, you know, feel like he fitted in. But at seven months, it's a waste of money, I think, to dress them up, you know. He doesn't understand that it's Halloween. Maybe next year, when he's a bit older. Now, wh- what about next year, then? The, the idea that this charity is saying that next year, if you dress up your child, you are using your child as a party accessory, as a parent. What's your reaction to that? It's absolute rubbish, you know. I don't. Some people, what they say is just ridiculous. I don't understand how dressing up a child is using them as, as you know, an object or anything. It's, it's. If the child wants to dress up, then why shouldn't they? You know, if they have their friends over and they want to go trick or treating, then why not? It's just a bit of fun. Unsafely, and their parents are there, then why shouldn't they dress up? I can understand if the child doesn't want to dress up, you know, and they don't want to go trick or treating. But if the parents want to spend the money on them and take them trick-or-treating, there's nothing wrong with that. OK, so just lastly, next year, if you were to dress up your child, you don't think that will make you a bad parent? No. No, it wouldn't. Because that's my choice, you know, if he wants to... If, well, obviously he's, he's going to be a year next year. But it's not a bad choice. It's making you angry just talking about it, it isn't is, it? It is. It is, because there's loads of things that are happening at the moment that are worse than a child dressing up as a, a devil or a pumpkin. It's stupid. The words there are feisty Kalishu. I mm. think it makes, makes an interesting point. I think. I think that there's far more important things to worry about than children dressing up as pumpkins. But, but she was saying there that seven months is too young. He doesn't know what's going on. Next year she will be dressing him up. So... Yeah. Is that but, really old enough for him to know se- again? At seven months, though, it's not really about them, is it? It's at seven months. It's about you getting some wicked photos of your kid dressed as a pumpkin or dressed as a bat, mm. and, and that's you know, and it's and it's fun, and that's one of the joys of being a parent is you get them to look cute and you make take silly photos and stuff like that. The big problem with this, Ian, it's American, and I think that's Ooh. why some people don't like it because they're saying it's American. Why again are we following the Americans? I did speak to to one parent who who didn't have time to to stop and talk to us properly, but he did dress his 
his young child up as a devil last night and he said to me they had a great night and the child, he absolutely loved it. I had, by my door, I had a big bowl of sweeties, like mini fun-sized <laughs> Mars bars and drumsticks. Just doesn't sound right, that. Oh, no, it was, it was great. But, and, and I was all set for the trick-or-treaters. And do you know how many trick-or-treaters we had? Uh, probably none. Absolutely none. What a sad, yeah, sad Yeah, you person. see, that, that was that message I put out last night on Facebook saying, don't go near Ian Lee's house. It clearly works. I went to that haunted house at Langleybury last night. I was terrified <laughs> for about yeah. an hour and a half. I, Good. I had a ghost chasing me. It was absolutely brilliant. So I had a great Halloween. Yeah, well, listen, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you did, uh, Justin. Thank you very much. I had a big bowl of sweeties by the door. And I saw the kids from next door go out. And I said, oh, you're going to do trick-or-treating now. I said, oh, well, have some sweets anyway. And then no one else knocked on the door. It does mean I've got a big bowl of sweets by the door for me, which is fantastic. But um, it's a bit disappointing. Now, nearly half of us do not trust estate agents to provide truthful and honest advice. That's according to a survey conducted by the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. They're calling for it to become compulsory for all estate agents to join a professional regulation scheme. Earlier on, I spoke to estate agent Trevor Kent. Oh, it got a little bit fiery. I believe that uh, people trust estate agents more now than they ever have. Poppycock, sir. Well, Poppycock. You may, you I'm, I'm, I, I bought and sold a house two years ago. I'm buying and selling a house now, and I've had nothing but, but guff coming out of both sides' mouths. Have you? Yes. And uh, what sort of guff? Uh, lying about dates that we'd be able to move, lying about what our properties were worth, How lying do you about... Know it's a lie how how do you know that how it might well be them repeating information they'd be given repeating it well if they've been given information that's false they should be investigating it it's not false information like that when you're going to exchange contracts when you're going to complete okay let's talk about let's focus on now listen to me you don't actually know the date you are told by various people such as lawyers such as other buyers um about hoped for dates but that's not a guarantee, and the agent can only pass on what they've been told. That it's, it's unfair of you it's, to no, say it's that's unfair a lie. Trevor, it, okay, it's not a lie. It's a bending of the truth. It's unfair. It raises false hope. It causes massive, massive problems, and they shouldn't be giving indications if there is no chance of those indications being fulfilled. Well, there are chances at the time they're told that. That was Trevor Kent, uh, and it got very fiery, but we, we shook hands at the end of it, and we walked away, uh, friends. Uh, he's, my, he's now my go-to. Uh, if we need an estate agent on the show, I want Trevor to come on, because he, he is feisty, and I think that's kind of what you need first thing in the morning. It was, it was certainly uh, good sport. Uh, Pamela in Houghton Regis has um, uh, emailed in. Uh, we'll, we'll do that in a minute. Let's go to Ian and Stevenage first of all, because he's, he's on the phone. Good morning, Ian. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm, I'm, I always get excited when I speak to another Ian. I don't know why. Uh, uh, you, you used to be an estate agent, did you? Well, I used to be a negotiator, yeah, which is that I'm part of the estate agency, obviously. Um, he kept trying to get the, 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 the deals tied up. I'm um, like, I went around 20, 21, 22. Um, oh, we used to lie for our teeth. We used to say, um, yeah, we've got somebody else coming to view it this afternoon. When we didn't, we've got somebody just about to put an offer in. You better get in there before them. And it, it, was, it was awful. It was awful. It's just, um, you, you can't trust an estate agent. They're the most dodgy, dodgy <laughs> lot. Yeah, do you know, I've always been suspicious when they say, well, yes, we've got another couple coming for their third viewing this afternoon. They're really, really keen. I- I'm always thinking, have you really? But you, if yeah. you really want the house, you can't take that risk, can you? Exactly. It's like precious sales. It's playing on people's emotions. But, yeah, we used to do it all the time, and it got us sales, and... And, and, and uh, sometimes you just don't need an estate agent. I don't know why some people with some of their lovely houses use an estate agent. Surely there must be a company out there that would charge a quarter of the price to, to, to uh, a marketing to advertise somebody rather than 
than, than, than spending... Ian, very quickly, you said you were, you were 22 when you were doing this. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it when it's a boy. When it's a boy showing me around a house, you know he's still living with his mum and dad. You think, no, I want a man or a woman oh, taking no, me I around. Living, I want a man who's living with my mum and dad then. I was at my own place. Mm, all right, tough guy. Ian, listen, thank you very much indeed. Very quickly, Pamela in Houghton Regis has said, uh, estate agents, bad, bad, bad. It was, um, every time I phoned them up, it was me doing their work for them. Yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. She goes on a, a bit more, but we haven't got time. Pamela, thank you for that. <laughs> Oh dear, what a mad dash for the end there. If you missed any of today's show, uh, go and listen to the iPlayer. There was, there was feist, there were laughs, there was all kinds of... It was good fun today. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Now, I'm off shooting with Jonathan Vernon-Smith this afternoon at Luton Who. If, if I'm not back tomorrow, there's some, if David Prever or somebody else is filling in for me, would you mind calling the police? <laughs> and getting them to send out the sniffer dogs. I should be back tomorrow, God willing. Jonathan's up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. I'm sure you'll be back tomorrow. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith.